0: Hey y'all welcome back to the wednesday march 9th, twenty twenty two edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast a little bit different setup today so um I'm reading Larry King's book on how to how to talk to to anybody um to uh you know try and get better as a broadcaster and learn um, learn more about this profession and how I can be better uh talking to people and how I can be better. Uh, doing interviews as I continue to add more and more interviews um, to this very podcast because I wanna I wanna get better and I always believe that you can get better. Um, I'm not even gonna edit this. I'm not gonna edit uh, just how I'm thinking out loud a little bit here, uh, a little bit different uh, to start this this episode. But the reason I bring up the fact that I'm reading uh, Larry King's book, um, who I just I've watched so many different interviews. He's done over the years. The amount of time I've spent um, studying the way he talks to people, the way he he initiates conversations, the way he delivers questions. Um, I don't know. I think uh, you can always, you should start by learning from the best, and I, I still think he's he's probably the best in that regard. So um, I wanna I wanna learn. I wanna get better. And one of the things he talked about when he first got into broadcasting was he just said uh, when he got put in. Um, in miami and uh he he froze and uh he didn't say a word when he first went on the went on the radio when he was he was really young and just froze and didn't say anything and i think about that a lot is that he froze and didn't know what to do the arguably the best broadcaster interviewer ever early on was terrified didn't say anything and then uh i think as the story goes the the Radiohead came in there and told him he's got to say something Um, and they came back out and he said something and he told the listeners what his name was and that this was the first day that he was he was on air. He was honest and that was who Larry King was forever was that authenticity where he was he's always been or he always was authentic with his guests and that is something that I want to always be and be authentic on this podcast and not try and do too much where it's clear I'm trying to imitate or be somebody that I'm not and I don't know it's it's interesting so the reason I bring all of this up um, so thank you for bearing with me is that I I'm still experimenting I'm still figuring out uh, what works what's the best format for this show Um, as of late you've noticed that I've put out like 15 a week Uh, and those 15 is spread out. Some are 15 minutes long, some are an hour. It just depends on who the guest is that particular day. Um, I found a rhythm in a lot of ways with Atlanta sports guys, sports reporters, uh, Go Big Orange Friday, Full Ride with Matt Green, um, MLB with John Taylor. Like That kind of consistency has worked, and I I really, really appreciate having um, them on the show every week and just getting to know them so well and that part of it, but... I'm also just figuring out what's the best format. Like, do I want to do three mini episodes a day? Do I want to, when's the best time I should release them? Um, All that. Like, I'm still figuring that part out. And something that I just, I feel like I need to do is I don't want to keep doing, breaking them up into three different parts. So uh, on this episode, you'll see that it's it's a long one. And it's a long one because there's going to be three guests on this one. And um, it's going to be an over two hour show, but it feels like a show. And I've done it both ways where I've broken it up and yeah, it it makes more sense to get people who just want the Vikings coverage from Eric Thompson last week to just dive right in. But it doesn't feel like a show. It just feels like I'm just creating content and just throwing stuff out there and um, seeing where the the chips fall where they may. And that's not really what I want to do. Um, I think that works for YouTube. And I think breaking it up that way um, will probably be the way I, I do things, but I want this to feel like a show. I want to like jam pack it with a bunch of awesome guests. And I want this to be like uh, one feed where it's just this episode. It's like the Wednesday, March 9th, 2022 edition of this podcast has X number of people. And this is what's happening. This is all the cool stuff that you're getting on this podcast. Because ultimately, this podcast is meant to be informative. I just want you all to be able to come away with every episode having learned something and i i think that comes from me not talking much or from the very least me putting the show in the guest's hands a lot but i also just want to make sure that i'm always um putting the guests first and that i want you all to be able to learn something and have fun learning like for today's episode john taylor major league baseball and the mlb lockout all that kind of stuff You'll learn something from John. You'll learn something from Buzz on Bulls on Tap. You'll learn something about the Chicago Bulls today. You'll learn something from Mark Schindler of Basketball News, who kicks things off here on Things NBA. I want this to be where you're like, wow, this was a bunch of great information, and I learned a lot. The reason the Sports Renaissance Man thing came about was because I tackle everything. And that's something that is really important to me, is that I want to tackle everything on this podcast i want this to be a variety i don't want to get burnt out on one particular subject matter and i have a lot of different interests and i think you the listener have a lot of different interests and i want this show to be something or be a be a hub for learning i want it to be a hub for learning a bunch of different stuff where it's like man uh when i listen to the chase Thomas podcast i learn a lot because of who he has on how the conversations go, how he, how he has these conversations and how he sets up his guests, things like that. Because ultimately, I love learning from the guests. Like I want to put myself in y'all's shoes where I am also learning. Like that is the coolest part about doing this podcast is that I get to learn from super smart people who know more about their particular thing than I do. John Taylor knows more about Major League Baseball than me. Uh, Mark Chandler knows more about the NBA than me. Buzz knows more about the Chicago Bulls than me. That's really cool, and I love that because that means I'm always learning, and I want to be learning every single day because there's not enough time in the world to know everything about uh, every sports team and every sports league. I do what I can. I read a lot. I watch a lot, but I have my limitations, and I, I want this podcast to be that where you all can come to this feed, and you know, when you tap into the Chase Thomas podcast, you're like, okay, the Wednesday edition. Guess what? I know when I tap in, I see like, I'm going to learn something. So I could fast forward to the Bulls part, the NBA part, Major League Baseball part, but I'm going to get to the part that I want to learn from. Like I want to be able to um, mention to a friend, family member, whoever that like, oh yeah, I heard so-and-so talk about this on the podcast and this is what they said. And here's why that's interesting. And that's, that's the goal of this show. But for it to be a show, I think I need to keep these together. I think I need to keep uh, this show consistent, but I also want it to be long. I want it to be informative and I want it to feel more like a show and not me just putting out a bunch of different content every day. Um, I don't know that that's just where I'm at. I'm kind of thinking this through as I'm, I'm working through it, but I just want to be honest with you guys. And that's something that's extremely important to me is to be authentic at all times on this podcast. And that's what we're doing going forward is, I'm, I'm still figuring this out. Uh, I still want to get better. And I, I hope you guys are good with these long episodes. And let me know if you're not. Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. But I, I want to I build this. I want to be authentic. And I want this show to be the place where you get to come and learn something from a bunch of smart people that I just I'm so grateful to have on this feed and on this show every single day. That is my promise is that you will always learn something and it will always be fun. It'll always be respectful. It will always be entertaining. Like that is what this show will consistently provide every single day on the feed. So um that's my pitch. I guess this is kind of like a mini trailer as I do um do this expansive uh edition of the podcast. But yeah, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you're you're not sure if you want to subscribe, I would highly encourage you to do so because I I do think this show will be good for all sports fans going forward because I just, I care and I think you'll learn something. And I think that's cool. I think that's what podcasts were meant to be is just thoughtful discussions about a particular item. Uh, and just, yeah, that's that's what I want this show to be. So please do uh, subscribe on whatever your preferred podcast app of choice is whether it be Apple, Spotify, whoever, but if you do, make sure, I mean, you tell me what you think of the show, leave a review, tell me why you like it, uh, what I could do better, things like that. Uh, Five star rating and a review always helps. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. And I, I hope I'm not repeating myself too much. But I don't know, I, I just I, I had this kind of uh, weighing on my heart a little bit today. So I, I wanted to do that. That's the format going forward. But yeah on today's show jam-packed uh group of guests as i talked about a lot here as we get started but yeah first up mark schindler of basketball news then we got uh buzz with bulls on tap and then um major league baseball with the always great john taylor of fangraphs.com so jam-packed show for you guys um i promise it'll be fun you'll learn a lot and uh stick around going forward and join me as i continue building this thing out and uh yeah, it that that's that would be awesome if uh, you guys could stick with me uh, as I keep this train moving and move to the the next step here on Blue Wire Pods and all that good stuff. So, yeah, without further ado, Uncle Darren, let's go.
1: Chase Thomas Pod, the Chase Thomas Podcast. <laughs> um, My he, nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it.
0: All right, hello and welcome back. It's Chase Down Block here on the tuesday night edition here on the chase Thomas podcast where mark schindler who is taking some time out of grinding tape and playing with his dog this evening to come on this very podcast mark you you posted what your uh your usual nba watching um, room looks like and it's a lot of a lot of your dog getting involved in the process how much does he impede you grinding the tape because it seems like he he's not about it he's like you've done enough it's time to go play fetch it's time to do something like I don't have this problem with Khaleesi the dog she doesn't care like she is lying down she's not a not a lap dog she's good on her own um but your dog doesn't seem like he's (laughs) he's doing the same kind of thing
2: yeah, he's running around chasing a ball right now. Like, he'll literally play ball by himself. It's kind of hilarious, except he loves to get it stuck under something and make me come get it, but mm-hmm. he's great. Like, he keeps me grounded in a lot of ways, but, yeah, trying to get work done during the day, if he wants to go on a walk or he wants to play, is uh, is very difficult. And he, yeah, can there he is. He's up right now, but, mm-hmm. um, no, he's good, man. Like, it. Uh, he. I, I mean, like, I was just, for example, I was going to watch games on my computer last night because sometimes it's just easier to sit in my, mm-hmm. my chair, but – um he was like, no, no, we're watching games on the bed tonight. Because I want you to pet me the entire time while you watch games. Otherwise, I'm going to whine at you. So it's, you know, compromise uh, like any healthy relationship. There you go. So are you like taking
0: notes over over his paws? And just? Like, I actually was to...
2: yesterday. Yeah, I had my notes open. Uh, I moved his paws, get he his head like right along my legs. Notes on the side. We made it work. How do you watch games? Do you take notes throughout every game you watch? What is your process? Um, it just depends. I uh, actually just released something on this on my Patreon not too long ago because people asked me about this. I uh, if I'm working on something like I just started doing the daily thing over at the Athletic, so whenever I'm doing stuff for that, like if I know I need to have things to hit on or things that I want to bring up in a podcast, then yeah, I'll have my notes over by me. Um, I mean, it normally like a part of it helps. Like I way over index to start the year. Like I watched way too many hmm. games. We're being honest. So um, I remember
0: us talking about it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think I filled up three notebooks in the first month and a half. So like, oh, wow, I, I took a lot of notes. Yeah, like every single game I watched, and that was way too much. But like, it helps because I'm at the point now where like I don't really feel like I need to take notes as much um, hmm. because I, I feel like pretty good about where I'm at with every team. Obviously, you're looking for certain things to pop up and change, um, but I feel like for the most part, um, you know, I'm I'm not unless I'm working on like a project and going back through and watching a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm not really taking as many notes anymore. Do you stay as,
0: do you stay as aware and and focused on the games when you don't take notes? Because for me, I just, I take notes on everything i watch, but I think it's more to just stop my ADD from taking over because I just, for whatever reason, like I I need to be able to consistently jot down notes, but it's so much easier for football, like basketball as Mm -hmm. in game is happy. Like the Hornets are a nightmare to take notes from. So if I'm watching the Hornets one week, like, they're just the pace is pushed, they're just doing a bunch of stuff, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm just like, What is Miles Bridge doing? Oh, no, the mail ball just did what? And uh, oh, look, there's PJ Washington doing what he does best in the corner, uh, or at the top of the key, and that's nothing. PJ Washington, hmm. uh, no discernible skill that I've been able to ascertain to this point. <laughs> um, shots fired at PJ Washington. I'm sorry,
2: I, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have to disagree say. with that one. I you, you, don't don't sign me up on that one, but I, I can see where you're coming from.
0: I don't know, man. He's just guys, I. I i I'm trying to think the Hawks don't really have a player like that, but um, I don't know. he's just those kind of players would drive me nuts i, I but obviously you um you could probably speak more to what p j Washington does on a nightly basis um than for me, which is, oh God, I got the ball, it's time for me to distribute the ball because I have no <laughs> no need for the ball in my hands um but yeah i I don't know i just i really do value being able to take notes and i'll look back at stuff where i'm like I, that's how i'll like pick up on like oh look they did it at, oh i just realized because i scanned back during a timeout outbreak like oh they just ran it this player this amount of times interesting and then i'll circle it for something later and i'm like oh maybe that's a trend i i just can't watch sports without taking notes i don't think
2: well it probably helps too like just for me because i just cover one sport um yeah like because i'm i don't know like i'm constantly like pulling stuff up on my computer to look things up and Mm -hmm. like all i mean i always have a notebook behind me just in case like i take just random notes throughout the day like i if -hmm. if i'm ever thinking about something or even if i'm out on a walk like i don't know sometimes i've written like half an article out on a walk just my notes app just because like if something comes to me like i don't know you know like if you're in the world if you get a thought you're like okay i have to get it down now or i'm gonna lose it and i can't afford to do that and uh like, I don't know. I mean, even when I'm watching games and I'm not taking notes, I mean, I guess I kind of always am taking notes because I'll have my rarely do I not have my phone on me. So if I'm if I'm not taking notes, I'm going to be tweeting things out, which is going to lead to me on it's It's just taking notes, but on Twitter for the most part, like sometimes I'm shit posting. But for the most part, it's, you know, like, I I mean, maybe I'll go. It, it might encourage me to go look up some more advanced stats and, and see if it's anything correlating with what we're seeing on court. Um, it just really depends like day to day. I don't know. Like, Feel like my game watching kind of just depends on the day, but for the most part, it's uh like I always have notes ready, but I'm mm. not always going like you know super hardcore with them. Okay. Um, who are you watching right now? Who have you been paying the most attention to over the last week? Over the last week. That's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously I stay pretty in tune with everybody, but I think like I've I've watched a decent amount of Detroit the last week. Obviously, keep up with the Pacers. I've been watching like every Pelicans game. I love the Pelicans, they've been huh. so fun to watch recently.
0: Just With CJ McCollum, like has that been the difference for you in enjoyment?
2: Uh, even I mean, I was enjoying them. I've watched a lot of them throughout the year, honestly. Like, okay. they've been really fun for me. I love Herb Jones, um, which was a big everybody part loves of it, Herb Jones. He's fun, man. He like, I I mean, not to make it sound like I was first person on the bandwagon, <laughs> but, like I liked him in Alabama, I didn't just like <laughs> him, you know, come as soon as he hit the NBA. But um, no, they're they're wild because they had such a rough start to the year. I'm trying to remember, yeah, three and sixteen. They had three and sixteen starts of the year. And they're at twenty seven and 37, so it doesn't sound like anything crazy. But to go from where they were at to play five hundred after that has been pretty remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. Like Willie Green should be. I don't think he's going to be coach of the year. I don't. I don't want to say that he should be, but like I think he should be on the ballot, which sounds hmm. crazy for a team like that. But I think you come in, you know, the the awkwardness with how everything was with Zion, like not knowing if he was going to be there. It seemed like I mean, literally, they they I think David Griffin had said that they that they were expecting him to be there. Um, like the first week. He was gonna miss pre preseason, but he was gonna be there the first week. That obviously did not happen. None of that has happened. Um, I can't imagine dealing with that as a rookie head coach or just like a co a coach in general, like especially a player that um that caliber where everything is you know going to be built around him. Like and it more importantly, too, it impacts the role players a lot. Like I think that's something that we don't think about. Like huh. something like Najee Marshall, really good last year. He's finally found his his footing this year, but like without Zion in the offense, like Everybody got guarded differently. Like, so instead of Najee having like seven feet of space on a closeout, okay, there are guys like three or four feet off of him, which changes up his driving lanes, changes up what happens if you do or don't take a shot. Like, um, so that was really interesting to see how they adapted with that. Their defense has been a lot better, um, you know, pretty much since they they started, they turned things around after the 3-16 start. They, they shifted some things around defensively. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon gosh. Can I even speak today? Brandon Ingram has just been awesome. Like I am toying with the idea of him on like third team all NBA this year. He's oh, been wow. That good. Like he's having the best passing season of his career. His defense has been a lot better. Um, they're just a, they're a really fun team to watch. And I, they play Memphis in a, like just under an hour. So I cannot wait to watch that game tonight because two uh, two really hot teams going at it in the southeast. That's interesting.
0: Um, Herb Jones is a is a fan favorite, but it's also I think did I see that they've been playing two bigs? And yeah, a lot been of
2: Jackson Hayes at the four alongside Jonas Valanciunas.
0: What do you think about that?
2: I've liked it. Um, okay, Jackson is still kind of undersized, or not, I mean he's like six eleven, but like mm-hmm. strength wise, he's he's probably only about two fifteen or two twenty. So he's had trouble dealing with true fives, um, and just in terms of his actual mobility, like I think he surprised me a little bit with like not with his mobility, but what he can do offensively surprised me. Like he's a guy who I think is going to be a shooter in time because he has really good touch. Um, and I don't think his mechanics are awful. It's just going to be more reps. But, um, like, even if he's sagged off of, he's comfortable attacking off closeouts, and he's good at using, like, what I'd call a cheat step. So, like, um, he's good at taking a step into the catch. So, like, you'll see guys like – I think Jay Sean Tate's probably one of the best guys in the NBA at this, where hmm. he knows he's not a good shooter. And, like, obviously he'll he, he's good at mixing it into. I think. But, like, if the ball is coming his way, he takes a step into the driving lane, which makes it that much harder for the defense to actually get a stop easier to get them going backwards and and, and draw a free throw. Um, so I've liked that a lot for him. I think the defense is still kind of like it's been better. It wasn't awesome between him and Jonas at first, um, but I think as Jackson's kind of reined himself in a little bit more and gotten better at just being technical um, instead of you know being quite as rangy, I think it's looked really good. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited by it. Um, I don't know how sustainable it is in like a playoff series or anything, but they can worry about it when they get there. So what do you think their best lineup will be when they do get Zion back?
0: What do you think is the the right mixture of five? And do you, do you worry about what this will do for Brandon Ingram, getting Zion back in there and just the amount of oxygen that he'll take up on offense? Because you mentioned the defense in the passing. So maybe this will be good for him where it's like the, the offensive usage in terms of just shot creation will not uh, be as big of a thing. For Brandon Ingram because I want to say what was Zion's usage rate last year? It was like something
2: thirty, wasn't it? Thirty plus close to thirty. Yeah,
0: and theoretically, when they get him back, I don't, I don't know if we get him this year. I,
2: yeah, it was twenty. Sorry, it was twenty nine point eight
0: percent last year. So yeah, Yeah. about thirty. And that's huge when you have somebody like that. uh, But there, you can't have multiple 30 plus usage guys on the floor for major minutes. It's not, not a thing. Um, it's part of the things that uh, Dallas and Atlanta deal with that Memphis deals with a little bit with jaw. And um, it makes life easier for role players, but it makes life complicated for guys who might be on that tier two, but could be on that tier one all NBA type players. Um, and then of course you have CJ McCall, the veteran who's going to get his shots and is also going to help a lot in late game situations. But what, what do you think is the best five based on the the what you've seen from the Pelicans this year and when they get Zion back? What is the right mixture Willie Green needs to find?
2: Uh yeah, I mean that's that's going to be the money question. I, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be CJ McCollum. Obviously, like you don't make that trade without bringing him in, and he's not the kind of guy that I think you can leave on the bench. Um, I mean, obviously, Bi's out there. I think Herb's out there for sure, and then I think Zion and JV. And I, I mean, okay. maybe it's dependent on game, but. I'm not at the point where I think that they're going to be doing Zion at five or should be like right now. They're really I mean, like they switch some actions, but it's a lot of just icing and they're really Mm -hmm. good at backline rotations and staying solid Um, with Zion. I think what's so tough is like this year for me was the year that I was thinking we were maybe going to see the Zion leap defensively uh, because that's something we've been waiting for. Um, Or at least that was my hope for him. Um, I don't know how reasonable it is to expect that with him coming back now when, you know, if he does come back this year, what that looks like, it seems like he might, I know he's back in new Orleans, but, um, I mean, obviously those are the five most talented players. So I think that's who you're going to have on the court. Um, but I mean, I'm sure people can look at it and be like, okay, well maybe instead of JV, you have like somebody else out there right now. I don't see that this year though. Like, I mean, maybe the idea is in a year or two, Trey Murphy, the thirds out there playing, like kind of a hybrid four or five, uh, maybe it is Jackson Hayes coming out there, but I mean, Jonas has been awesome this year. So it'd be hard to not have him out there. Um, and what I like about it too, is kind of like very different from the Cavs, but in that same vein of like, they just have funky ways of being able to play that I think, uh, well, it's definitely, you know, adapting to other teams is a part, is a part of the game, like, okay, well other teams are going to have to adapt to them too. Like having to play against Yona, y- Jonas and Zion at the same time, like, uh, I'm very excited about that because obviously Steven Adams and and, and Zion was really clunky last year. It wasn't perfect. Um, Jonas is just a totally different player. You can actually step out and hit a little bit more. Um, and it's less about what he's doing in terms of taking shots. Like he's really good at floating in the paint or floating around the dunker spot and making himself available, available for shots. And um, it, there's definitely going to be some clunkiness that they're going to have to figure out, you know, in terms of the machinations of the offense, but just having more ability to having somebody with Zion's gravity that can really bend the defense, um, alongside guys like BI and, and, and CJ who can shoot off movement and, um, you know, do some dynamic handling stuff. Like I am, I'm very, very in on, on New Orleans. Interesting. I, um, I want to see them
0: make the plan. I want to see, uh, yeah. I want to see what happens there. I want to see them in the playoffs. I want to see, uh, can you, see, uh, I mean, if you get Zion back, and they're not going to win a playoff series, like that's not happening. Like, they're we just don't see that. People talk themselves in. And I remember last year in the West, people were like, "Oh, I don't know, Lakers in that seven spot," and people were talking themselves into multiple upsets in the first round in the Western Conference last year. And I was like, eh, probably not. Um, and then, of course, nobody. I think outside of the four or five ended up getting upset in the playoffs last year. But um, and I don't even really count four or five as a as an upset. But yeah, I just. I'm curious. I think next year will be a big, big year for New Orleans and figuring a lot of this out. I think if they can make the play in and just keep these good vibes going, it, it might be a Phoenix Sun situation. Remember in the bubble where Phoenix really asserted themselves down the stretch. And even though it didn't lead to post anything in the postseason, they didn't ultimately qualify. It was still just like something that they it was like a rallying cry. That they yeah. led into the following season where it's like, okay, this is something to build off. And we saw this success, we can, we can do something with this the following year. And I think a healthy Zion with Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum in this group, like, I don't think there's any reason to to doubt them being able to shoot up into the Memphis type territory that Memphis has found themselves in, right?
2: Um, I don't know if I'm quite there. Like, I think it's going to depend on a lot of outlier um play on the roster, but I mean, it is reasonable to say if Zion was there and, and things go, how they go. I mean, they're, they're above 500 right now, in my opinion. Like, I mean, they're one game back from the Lakers right now because they've been playing that one well like Lakers. has been that bad, but, um, like I, I, I totally agree with you. That's part of where, um, you know, I used to think a lot differently about how to handle the end of a season, but, it's a lot more nuanced and more of a balancing act than I think some people make it out to be like, you know, yes, you want your team to get the best possible draft pick, but also you're not, I mean, you're carrying over a lot of that to the next year. You can't just end the year with, with this terrible momentum. And not that I think, I think momentum is a, it's an odd word to apply to sports sometimes, but like, it's more just, okay, if you lose a bunch, it's very difficult to enjoy losing a bunch and that breeds a lot of contentment and a lot of just creating a bad environment. So um, I'm in the same boat as you. Like I I'm hopeful that they can use this as a real springboard. Like this season to me has been just honestly as given the circumstances about as good as I think things could have gone for new Orleans. Uh, Like I feel really good about where things are going, especially just based on everything I've read, everything I've heard about and, and all the people I've talked to in new Orleans, like things are going really well. Um, like, I think uh, I, it sounds like a, a trope, but, like, just looking at the day of the trade deadline when Josh Harton and the heel Alexander Walker stayed back in New Orleans to, to go to one last game and, like, stay and, like, just, like, be on the court side to, like, send their guys off. Like, that just doesn't happen in the NBA. And, I, I again, I do think some of that can be overblown, but um, Willie Green is doing really great stuff there, and I, I'm very excited about their future.
0: I uh I am too. We'll see what happens here. Um what storyline has you most intrigued right now? What uh what have you been thinking about a lot the story most? Storyline. Yeah. Uh that you've seen man, on NBA Twitter that you're like, oh, this is interesting.
2: I guess a couple things. Like I'm really okay. intrigued by RJ Barrett's growth. Um, you know, he's really taking the reins of the offense. I I say that after Julius Randle scored 46 last night, but um that's been really interesting to me. Um Mean, man, so what know. do you think what,
0: what so in terms of rj though like what have you what have you seen i did see today on twitter i try to uh, limit uh my twitter stuff but i yep. did see that people were dunking on this next fan who is uh who posted how many six eight wings can do what cam reddish did in this video and it was just um a, a simple drive to the basket and it was just uh i don't know if you saw that but basically it was something that i've seen a lot in atlanta I did see some... that. Oh, yeah that was with cam
2: reddish um mm-hmm. that was, uh... That was funny. Um, It was funny, but like the
0: Cam, RJ, the Duke guys, and I don't know, like, I don't, you tell me, you tell me what I should think about RJ Barrett and uh, even Cam, based on what you've seen so far, because it's been pretty limited what we've been able to see from Cam in New York. But RJ, do you think, is he, is he moving up to a different tier? Is he... Is he in that Brandon Ingram type zone where it's like you could eventually see him as a number two on a really good team? Or is there a, a higher ceiling for him? Like what has what changed with him down the stretch this year?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of it has just been more reps on the ball for RJ. Like that's been extremely important for what he's doing. Um, he's taking more threes, doing more stuff as a pull-up guy. And most importantly, he's getting to the line of him. Like just since um, looking back to the 31st, which is when I think you really start to see a ramp up in his usage like he's taken no less than 13 shots over the last 26 games which doesn't sound like a lot but compared to you know what he was looking like earlier this year and even at times last year like that's that's a massive step up um so he's averaging 19 shots per game over his last 26 games yeah um 24 points six boards four assists um and getting to the line seven times like that is the biggest thing for him because uh to the best way to explain it like RJ is a very stiff athlete. Like I'm trying to think of uh, like an, an NFL comp for people, but like um, he just doesn't have a lot of bend in his lower body. So like he has real power and not really a lot of burst So, so he's more strength based. Like he's not going to get great first steps on anybody. His handles pretty solid, but not like anything that's going to blow you away. So a lot of what he has to do is relying on angles and strength to get downhill. Um, the issue for him is, OK, well, when you aren't able to create separation like that or your separation is more based on angles and and having slivers of space, it's a lot harder to actually finish those looks. And he, to be fair, like he does not have great touch around the rim. Um, and that's, you know, that's a thing that's been a problem for him. And it's going to be something he's trying to work on uh, as the game goes on. But I don't really think that's like it, this is more just my philosophy. I don't really think you can just grow touch like we've seen yeah. guys get better at finishing and, and you know becoming shooters. But. Um, you know, it's very hard to just develop somebody into like a 45% floater guy. Like, and RJ is very far away from that right now. That, and that's not the cap in, but just, okay. If he doesn't have that mode of offense, then it's a lot harder to see him being a, a more of a primary guy. Um, I do think, how does like, he, do he sh- fouls.
0: how does he, how has he been doing it? Like what he's actually biggest-
2: started to bring some craft in. Like, so he's doing okay. some, some off arm stuff to, that he like, I mean, he'll he'll do the rip through move. He's doing stuff hmm. like that. Like, and I think some people can hate it, but like, it's a legitimate way to 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 increase your scoring ability and to get to the line. And I, I mean, I I think it's been really awesome to watch him do that because it was stuff that I wrote about last year, wanting to see him do more on drives because, um, he was in like the top ten in the league in drives per game last year, but he was one of the lowest in foul rate because he's he you know he didn't have a lot of that foul craft to his game, but now he's been a lot better at seeking out contact rather than. know, trying to float away from it and hit a harder shot. Um, So I've been really encouraged by him. Like I I still think uh, the way that I put it is I'm like more resolute that he's not going to be like a a primary guy. I never really thought that was going to be ideal for him. I thought it was going to be more like, okay, he could be a secondary or tertiary creator on a pretty good team. Um, But now I I feel more confident in that um, just based on the way that he's progressing already
0: interesting i i like that i like that um they're such a weird team to forecast though and i have very, no idea what what kind of offseason new york's gonna have um has russ played any better of late has he done no. anything better is it still just pretty bad
2: yeah no it's been very bad i don't, I don't really think he's done anything but i don't mean to be unfair like his uh his wife had a really good thread uh today that was just unfortunately needed because people have been pretty terrible about russ um but I mean, to be fair, he just, he's not played well. Like uh, I do think like in some ways he's maybe tried to rein in, in his shot selection, but a lot of it seemed like confidence too. Like you can tell, it feels like he's just overthinking everything on the floor in a way that I've just ever seen from Russ in my lifetime, mm-hmm. um, which is an odd thing to say considering like him since I was in middle school. So it's just, uh, it's a very odd dynamic. Um, and I, I mean, I'm mainly, I'm just ready for this Lakers season to be over. I'm tired of <laughs> talking about them. And I am not. I don't mean to, like, you know, shit on you for having me on the pot of talk with them. But I just mean, like, um, I just feel almost bad for them in some ways, the way that the season has gone. Not like that. I mean, they put themselves in this position. But, like, just some of the guys on the team who didn't have control in decision-making, like, this kind of sucks for them. Like, I mean, Malik Monk has had an awesome year. and nobody's talking about it because all I can talk about is like how the Lakers suck. And they're not, so how is he nothing.
0: different than Charlotte? What, what is Malik Monk added um, to his game in Los Angeles?
2: Yeah. So I think he has really functioned well as a starter there. Um, he's been a lot better just, you know, off the catch being more of a spot up guy. Like he's one of the best guard screeners in the NBA, which is a very random tool, but, um, a good one playing alongside LeBron. Like he should he's shooting 39% on threes. I think he's been a little bit, um, he's been able to show a little bit more as a passer off the balance. Um, I've really enjoyed his game. Like the defense has been uh, very hit or miss kind of like it was in Charlotte too. Like, I think he has some okay moments off the ball, but on the ball, it's a work in progress still. And, um, but he's just like, I mean, he like the fact that he was a minimum signing to now, you know, like I thought, you know, in the summer um, him being a minimum signing was ridiculous compared, to, you know, considering what he'd done in Charlotte, like not that he was amazing, but I think he'd shown enough to be like, okay, you should probably be getting a multi-year deal. Um, and I think he's played himself into that. Like he's had he's had a very nice year, even though, you know, granted things have not gone well in, in, in Los Angeles. So he's not a Laker next year. He's going to be, he's already priced himself out. Of I, I mean, maybe, uh, I, I don't know if like, I just thought here's my, thing. I have no idea what to think of what the Lakers are going to look like next year. Like I think this roster, if there's much holdover, I'd be pretty shocked. Like it's. I mean, even then, like it feels like is gonna be gone because or I mean I would be surprised if he's not. It's not like he's been terrible, but he hasn't exactly been awesome, but the context isn't great to be fair. But like, okay, you have a bunch of vets who are on minimum deals or, or, or smaller contracts. I don't anticipate them being around. Um it's a it's a very it's a very odd situation, man. Like I don't really know what to compare it to. Like I don't I don't think that I can bring up like a team that totally flopped like this. Um that and you know what it might look like like I mean even okay I guess one of the not even a great comp but like that first OKC year when, when Mello was there mm. um like that team I think they were expected to do a lot more obviously Mellow had some struggles but um even then that team didn't really get completely torn down like they traded Melo in the offseason but I, I, I don't know it's it is uh they they are in a they are in a bad way it's the best way to put it there's just no way out
0: of it and this is something I said before the year. I said that they, I would be surprised if they made the playoffs. Like,
2: I just hope they don't make the playoffs, honestly, because I don't feel like seeing them.
0: I don't think they want to make the playoffs. I think LeBron, I mean, I, he just, he was talking about knee soreness this week, so like he could just check out. Like, What if he just doesn't play the play? And he's like, I'm just checking out and getting right and getting ready for this offseason. I don't think they want to make it. I know Anthony Davis doesn't want to play any meaningless games <laughs> anymore down the stretch here. He would rather uh, get healthy, but... Um, Frank Vogel probably wants to keep playing, right? Because this is it for him, uh, by all accounts, based on people I talked to. But um, I don't know. I just the Lakers, there's no fix now. Like the the Westbrook trade ended any possible fix for them and him playing the way that he has. I mean, there's just the only fix is moving AD. And you're not moving a D at this point, and you're like, that's just he's your best trade asset, but he's also just integral to you contending for a title. So I don't know. The Lakers just they're they're screwed. And I think they'll be bad again next year. And then I think when you read this stuff, man, about like Phil having like him and Jeannie talking about uh, the Westbrook stuff, because that fascinates him. Rambus being involved with the Lakers still. I don't know. I just I think it's going to go back to more of what we saw from the Lakers pre LeBron. I, I think this is a uh, it's going to be it's going to be bad. I, I don't think they get out of this. And I think LeBron does not finish up as a Laker. I've said that I think he ends up a son. I think he joins up with James Jones's group and he eventually owns the Suns. Like that is what Sarver is forced to sell and LeBron buys into Phoenix. Not that far. I, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't think it ends well, but it's also just, it's so interesting because you can tell LeBron is so frustrated by what's happened here because he, when you go to 10 straight uh, finals, like you just to be this irrelevant now, like he is, He has spent the last two years being irrelevant now. Like the Lakers being a seven seed last year, playing team this year. Like that is a, but like the amount of work he puts on it, like he just does, and the amount of stuff that he has to do to maintain his body at this point in his career. Like you just, I couldn't imagine how frustrating that must be because he's like, at this point, I should only be contending for titles. Like that's my only thing. Like I should be in the Tom Brady zone where I with the bucks and Aaron Rodgers the Packers, like that should be where I'm at. Drew Brees, the saints. And instead it's not going to go that way. Like that is not how it, he got his ring in LA, which is great. But I, I can only imagine how frustrated he must be because there's no out. This is, Th- there's just no out for him and la part of it is him with the roster decisions and the yeah. westbrook trade and things like that but i don't know you also don't get ad with without lebron you don't win a championship with like it's just there's so much nuance required here and there's a lot of gray but i uh, i feel bad for him because i think uh it ends pretty poorly here and i don't think there's a way for them to get out of this hole it's pretty doom and gloom
2: uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think that there is a way for them to get out, just like looking at the cap sheet right now. I mean, they have five guaranteed contracts next year if Russ and Kendrick Nunn opt into their player options. And I mean, just listening to Russ, I'm, I mean, I'd imagine he's not very interested in turning down $47 million, but I I mean, it, it's at the stage where if they brought him back next year, like there there's no way that's going to happen. I would be shocked. Like that would, A, I'd be very confused. B, yeah, shocked. Uh, mm-hmm. But... I mean, they, they should at least theoretically have room outside that. Um, but I mean, I don't see a scenario where they actually trade LeBron. I'd be surprised with that. Cause if you, like you mentioned, they still have Anthony Davis there. I, I don't think it's going to end in, you know, like terribly. I, and I think it's tough with last year too. Cause like you mentioned, like, yes, there were a seven seed, but um, you know, LeBron and AD's injuries absolutely railed their chances. Um, like I think that team probably would have been at least the three or four seed if, uh, you know, they're maybe, you know, missing 10 games less each. And obviously that's doing a lot of mental math and, and hypothetical, but, um, it definitely plays a real part, but, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, we're just in Wayne C mode. I'm I'm pretty out on that team. Yeah. I just don't want them on TV anymore.
0: Um, but then again, you are a, uh, a league pass savant Mark, and you've been watching a lot of Pacers, a lot of Pacers clips, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, buddy healed and the forgotten Son, Jalen Smith. Uh, in the rotation there. Uh, what have you seen from those three? Cause Jalen Smith's getting up buckets. He's a bucket getter, man. And I like Jalen Smith. Um, this group is fun. They're weird a little bit to have this many veterans on a bad team this late in the year, uh, all contributing. But uh,
2: what have you seen from the Pacers with their, their new group? Uh, I mean, Tyrese is really exciting. I like him a lot. Uh, I mean, they view him as their future cornerstone as a point guard. Um, as good as he's been, it's almost been frustrating how much he's deferential at times as a scorer. Like, he's way too efficient and way too good to, to pass up some of the shots that he takes. Um, like he's very much a pass first guy, and I'm hoping they can wrap some of that out of him or encourage him just to be a little bit more aggressive as a shot taker. Um, cause he's capable of doing a lot more with the ball his hand. So I wanna see that. But overall, like, he's been, he's been awesome. Um, do you Buddy think Duarte healed,
0: though, does he not limit that option just because Duarte is getting shots? I don't
2: I don't think it limits it. Like if anything, okay. I think uh I want to see more of uh Tyrese with the ball in his hands because of Chris. Like I think Chris huh. is much better as an off ball option and moving. You know, he's a he's a very good off ball mover. He's he's capable of hitting shots off movement. Uh, he's really good at off cuts. Like he's not a guy who I think like, I mean, he's a guy who you want to throw the ball to when he's able to come off of a pin down and then isolate or something. Like, hmm. he's not somebody who should just be spread out, pick and roll. Like, we've seen that this year, and it's not really super effective yet. They've tried to to work that in, and I think that we will get more opportunities with that. But adding in somebody like Tyrese who can bend the defense first and then get Chris better looks, like, I think you want that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you don't have somebody who's going to be able to consistently bend the defense, you know, on their own in action – um, then you just have a bunch of guys who kind of, you know, it's finding like that's then you're back in the same spot where the Pacers were the last couple of years with a, a bunch of guys who can kind of do it, but not quite. And it leads to some awkward tension. But um, like I think him and Chris are going to be really interesting. together. We haven't really get, gotten to see them play much together because Chris has dealt with, uh, I think, foot and toe injuries. Um, but I'm excited to see them play more together.
0: What about um, Jalen, though? Is he a guy? Like, is Jalen a long term starter in this league? Uh, is there a lot of Wendell Carter vibes with Jalen Smith? What... No,
2: I can't get there. Uh, and I, okay. I don't mean to sound like a hater. I just think uh, Jalen is still a ways away for me. Like, I know the mm. box score looks really nice for him. Part of that is the pace that they're playing at. Um, like, there's been, I think they're just about 30th in defense since the trade deadline. It's been very hmm. rough on that end. Um, and he's part of that, honestly. Like, his feel for the game on both ends is not great right now. Um, defensively, he's just normally – and not that he's not athletic or that he can't make some plays, but um, you know his timing as a shot blocker isn't awesome. He doesn't always see things developing, and that's something that's going to take time for him to grow into. Um, offensively, I mean, I have been impressed. The shot making has been very real. I think he's shooting right around 39% on slightly over four per game, which is good. Like, that was an issue for him in Phoenix when he did get a limited run he wasn't hitting shots a ton other than, you know, he had that run where he was playing uh, like 20, 25 minutes game starting for the Suns. He looked good, but um, he's done some good stuff. Just like moving in the flow of the offense that I didn't feel was something he was doing in Phoenix. Like, you know, okay. Just lifting from the corners, making yourself more available for shots, setting impromptu screens, stuff like that. Like um, he's done more of that, not like a ton, but um, it's been a lot of improvement for me from where he was at in Phoenix. I don't, I don't know if I view him as a long-term star or anything, but um, I'm very interested to see what happens with him in free agency because he's already at the way in the way where he's probably played himself out of being a pacer next year because he can get paid more by another team than anyone who owns his, his bird rights or no not bird rights whatever it is you know just his cap hold because of um, his, the rest of his deal not being guaranteed but um, he's interesting but he he's still he still is pretty raw on both ends for me. Hmm.
0: Um. Did you watch any of Oladipo's return? I did.
2: I did watch okay. Oladipo's return last night.
0: So what did you What did you make? I want to combine this. The two Florida teams, what did you make of Oladipo's return and then what you've seen from Markel Fultz with his return in Orlando?
2: Yeah, I mean, Vic looked really good last Like Honestly, a lot better than I was expecting. Um, I don't think – obviously, doesn't have his full like first step or burst back, but it was a lot better than I was thinking it was going to look. Um, he was mostly operating off the ball, but then he started to get some opportunities to – to handle a few ball screens as the game went on. Um, Mm -hmm. He had a pretty nice dunk late in the game, hit Jay Sean Tate with a hezzy and and just got himself to the rim for a one handed jam, which was really nice to see. Um, Hit a couple shots, which was dope. My favorite part, he drew a charge within the first 10 seconds of being in the game, which is like very much a Victor thing. So that was cool to see. He didn't look very hesitant. He didn't look contact averse, Mm -hmm. um, which was something I was excited by because that's something you're always looking for with somebody coming back from, especially a lower body injury. Um, Cause that was kind of an issue for him in Indiana when he came back, you know, he was a little bit contact diverse. You could tell he was looking more for his first for jumper. Um, I'm just inter- interested to see how that looks with the rest of the guard room because Max didn't play played all last night. Gabe Vincent didn't play it all last night and Gabe Vincent's been awesome this year. Like he's been very good, like totally yeah. blown me away from where he was last year. Um, so I'm interested to see what that looks like and how that plays out. Um, but overall, I mean, Vic was really impressive to me. What about Fultz? Fultz has been very fun to watch and you can tell like the element that he brings already to that Orlando team is somebody who gets to the rim all the way. He's the best passer on the team, like pretty easily. Like there, I don't think there's much debate on that one. Um, and that's not a slight to anybody else, but he's like just that good of a live dribble playmaker. I think he's still not going to play back to back. So yeah, he missed the game against Toronto and played against Memphis the other night. So he's not playing back to back still. But, um, in terms of like, again, somebody who was not looking contact averse, he's had some really dope trash to the rim. He's like diving for offensive rebounds. Um, I think defensively it's still like you can tell he's not all the way there yet with his stamina and getting back with his legs under him, which makes sense. That takes time to get back into game shape. But mm-hmm. um, I've been impressed with his I mean his pull up twos have looked really nice, just you know, getting to the elbow if he gets walled off at all. Uh his footwork's looked really good. Um, I've just been impressed with him. And hey, I'm just happy to see him back on court. He's played what? I mean, he's played eleven games now since 2020. So Um, just to see him back healthy playing at all and in meaningful games is pretty nice.
0: What do you think of early returns? Um, what, based on what you've seen from Suggs this year, do you think he and Fultz are a backcourt that can work in Orlando long-term?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I I, like, I, I've, I've thought Suggs obviously had a very rough start to the year, um, before Mm -hmm. his injury, but he's been better since he came back, um, I think he still has some things that he's working on. Like the shot hasn't been there very consistently for him. Uh, but I do think his decision-making has looked a little bit better. Um, he's been better getting downhill to the rim. And and when he's getting there, he's been better at finishing as well, um, which is huge for him. Like he, it, I read an article, with my friend Kobe Price covers the Orlando magic. And he wrote a great piece over at the Orlando Sentinel on how, when he was out for like you know, that month and a half, he worked strictly on like finishing through contact and developing counters on the interior And you can tell, like, that's really shown through and how he's looked in the second half of the season now. Um, I think ideally Suggs is somebody who's doing more as an off-ball player. Like, he, obviously, I want him to run things, but, like, I look at him more as somebody like um, Drew Holiday. I don't want to say Drew Holiday because that sounds like – that's just an easy comp or whatever. But, like, much in that same vein, like, he's not somebody who I think you want running the offense all the time, but he can do it for stretches. He can carry units for you. Um, I think in the ideal world, he's doing more, you know, playing off of Fultz. If Fultz can be, you know, stay healthy and be that guy for you. Um, But right now, like I think part of what is exciting to me about Orlando is they have a multitude of guys who can handle some primary responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's not perfect when you don't have somebody who can do it entirely on their own. But when you just have a lot of guys who are good at basketball, who have a good feel, they can figure some things out. I think I think it's a good foundation.
0: Okay, I like it. I like it um we'll end it there mark so
2: what? what uh what can the
0: good folks check out from you across uh basketball news you're on the daily ding now yeah Shout out to the athletic um i told like i make this joke but every time uh you're on this podcast it could be the last time because you're gonna get too big <laughs> you're gonna be too big oh, the pod man, at some point
2: it. um yeah you can find me on twitter at m schindler mba that's MBA. Right um there. Obviously at Basketball News, uh, mm-hmm. what will I have at Basketball News is a great question. I think I'm going to write something actually magic related for tomorrow, so look out for that. Um, I just wrote something on the Pistons today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I should have a lot of things coming me. I know I'm doing. I'm working with a couple friends of mine on uh, like an early defensive awards, like looking at all defense, defensive play of the year, and that should be out sometime next week. So keep your eyes out for that
0: all right there you go i like it i like it mark thank you so much for the time enjoy your nba watching tonight take some good notes and uh i'll talk to you soon
2: i will appreciate it chase
0: all right the bulls are back the bulls are back people forget this but not buzz from bulls on tap buzz good evening sir how are you
1: Hey, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to come on and talk some Bulls basketball with you because we're actually relevant again. So it's nice to uh, be back in that in that world of relevancy.
0: You are relevant again, but there has been a bit of a skid, injuries and other things. Are you? How are you feeling about the current fall? A little bit like that. You're not a number one seed anymore. And now you're kind of fighting for home court like that's a That's a big thing. I mean, United Center being what it is. What what are your current feelings about the Chicago Bulls team?
1: Oh, I mean, I just think, that, you know, the like you said, the injuries have uh, piled up here, um, mm-hmm. and it's not easy to rebound when you're missing two of your best defenders in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. When Caruso was in the lineup, the Bulls were tops in the NBA in defensive efficiency. When we lost him, we dropped – I mean, it's funny because it's one guy, and it's a guard, mm-hmm. but we literally fell all the way down to the 20s in defensive efficiency. We still have a top-10 offense. Uh, once we get these guys back, which news came out today that Caruso's supposedly being cleared for contact again. So he should be back at the end of March or you know, at least mid-March, he should be back. So um, but with the injuries, Alonzo Ball, you know, Alex Caruso. I mean, we, we lost Levine for a hot minute with his knee injury, which turned into back spasms. I mean, this team has fought a lot of adversity. And what people don't realize it feels like it's two seasons within one, because at the beginning of the year we were losing all these guys due to COVID. So then they come back and they get injured. The fact that this team held on to first place as long as they did is pretty impressive and a testament to how good Billy Donovan's coaching is.
0: What's been the biggest difference with Donovan from Boylan?
1: Oh, just being competent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth, man. It's just, I got to meet Jim Boylan a couple of times. He's a nice dude. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to hate on him. Um, it's just you come in and you coach like you're coaching children, and that's just not the name of this game. You're coaching grown men. Um, the punch clock was a cute idea. Sure. Whatever. Um, if you're into that kind of thing, but I I think competency is the biggest difference and, you know, experience too. Billy Donovan has coached superstars before. Um, you know, and then he was being, he was a part of a rebuild in OKC, you know, when they had traded Russ away and KD had left and all that, you know, he, it's just, he was a part of both of these worlds and, Again, I just think he's a, a lot more seasoned of a coach who's ready for this kind of challenge. So uh, Billy came in and, and really got this team to buy into his philosophy, and it's paying dividends.
0: What about scheme-wise? What does Billy Donovan do? Like uh, like you said, he's has experience working with superstars. He has a, just a plethora of experience developing young guys, which is great for the folks like uh, Patrick Williams um but what on the court has been different what have you noticed that they're running better and obviously part of it has to be we have to include the fact that this is a different roster in -hmm. a lot of regards that there are a lot of new faces but Levine did have a breakout year last year like he like he still was a great player so I think Boylan not to put too much uh emphasis on what Boylan did for the Chicago Bulls but that was something that did happen under his watch was Levine taking that next step what has Billy Donovan done to build off that and to acclimate other guys, like you said, with Lonzo with Caruso uh, with DeMar DeRozan, who we haven't even mentioned yet. How has he been able to make this all work? What is, what does he run on the court that really stands out that people who have not been able to watch every bulls game
1: that you do that you see? Well, I mean, he ran a lot of high and lows with Vooch. Uh, that was mm-hmm. something to try to get Vooch going also as well. I, I I don't really want to speak on the offense so much. I want to speak speak on how the defense turned into offense. He got these hmm. guys to buy in with having guys like Lonzo Ball, who at one time was leading in the league uh, in deflected passes, you know, before he went out, and, and a guy like Alex Crusoe together. Those guys turned literally by swarming the uh, the offensive player created these deep these turnovers, which tr- turned into transition points for the Bulls, which they were top five in before they went down. Mm-hmm. That's what Billy really sold to me this year. Is they all said Jim Boylan is a defensive kind of guy. Like think about Tibbs too when he was here in Chicago. He was a defensive guy. I've never really seen that come to fruition more than I have with Billy. Of course, Tibbs was a defensive guy, but that didn't really turn into offense. That was give Derrick Rose the ball and get out of the way. You huh. know, with with Billy this year, I've seen this defense turn into offense when healthy. Because <laughs> right now we're not playing any defense mm-hmm. at all. It's pretty it's pretty bad. But when those guys were healthy. Defense turned into offense, got their guys in their sets. There wasn't a ton of ISO ball. I know that DeRozan and Levine were scoring a lot, but those guys were catching the ball and shooting it. And it was working out real well. Yeah, of course, they take over, get into the paint, make some things happen. But Billy had a well-rounded machine on offense. And it was working. Unfortunately, again, when you start piling up with injuries, you kind of forget how it looks because we Mm -hmm. haven't seen it for over a month. You know, a month and a half, really.
0: Patrick Williams, though. What... What do you want? Like as a Bulls fan and analyst, like it's such an interesting situation to be in with him because he obviously was a high lottery pick, high expectations. He's shown flashes, but now you're, it, we saw this a little bit in Atlanta, like me being Atlanta guy when Trey young and you make that Eastern conference finals bump. It's like, sorry, Cam, we have no time for you anymore. Like Cam Reddish, we just don't have time um that's why patrick williams found himself in trade rumors and it was like oh would you give up patrick williams for a jeremy grant to fill out this veteran heavy uh starting five and closing five um instead he's still a bull he's still your your most exciting i guess we should say young player uh on this roster and he might come back but prior to the injuries um they were really clicking without patrick williams do you do you think it's fair to bring him in if he is able to for a playoff series? Like, is he someone that you would want back in there and thrown into the fire like that at this point, or would you rather Patrick Williams not return this year?
1: If he's healthy play. Um, okay. I like, I love Javante green, Um, you know, and he's been, he got most of the starts in, you know, Williams absence, which is still going on. Uh, Tristan mm-hmm. Thompson had gotten a couple in a row there too, after we got him on the buyout market, but Patrick Williams is supposed to be the most skilled out of those players. So I want the most skilled on the court. Um and back to your question about how I feel about Patrick Williams, I don't know. Um he didn't show me a lot in his rookie year. He, he had some flashes of course, but you know when you play 71 games, which it was last year because of the COVID, you know how COVID was, you know, he didn't show me a lot. He showed me some things, but not a lot. And then in the summer league this year, a lot of Bulls fans were like, "Oh my god, look what he's doing. He's scoring. But did you see the percentages he shot?" Uh I would sure hope so. He's playing against guys that look like me out there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm, you know, like, or rookies or like, you know, two, second year players that are trying to make their name. And then the first five games this season, before he went down after that shot from Mitchell Robinson against the Knicks that has taken him out up until this point, he looked lost. Had a couple moments again in five games where you're like, okay, yeah, okay. We see it. He goes down with an injury, but I've never seen, he was a fourth pick in the draft. He went after Anthony Edwards. He went after James Wiseman and Lamelo Ball. So people have to forgive me as a Bulls fan and analyst or whatever that I have a salty taste in my mouth because I was ready to trade the bank for Lamelo. I I, mm-hmm. I was ready to trade anybody not named Zach Levine is who I was trading for Lamelo Ball. Um, that's what I wanted to do, anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know there was just that drop off there, and if Patrick Williams ends up working out, he ends up working out. But right now, I don't see it personally as a Bulls fan. I don't know what's there, but again. In fairness, I don't have a lot of film on him to be able to see what he could have done this year. Maybe he would have broke out of it and found his place in this new offense. He did kind of go through a total team transformation from year one to two. So he could be great. He might not be able to. But the most exciting young player on this team, I don't think, is Patrick Williams. I think it's Iota it. Okay. So that that's my. Well, opinion.
0: it's, it's – I guess – He's exciting in a totally different way, though, right? Like the the kind of player that he is and what he can be. It's like Io just has a ceiling. Like he's like Patrick Williams. Theoret- the theoretical Patrick Williams is significantly higher than the theoretical AO. And it's kind of like with DeAndre Hunter where it was like theoretical DeAndre Hunter is fine. Like he's he's a good player. He'll play in the league for 15 years, whatever. Theoretical Cam Reddish is like paul george like it's just a different i thought yeah yeah i'm with you so but the thing is deandre hunter is still a hawk and cam reddish is not um theoretical is only cool for so long but with ao he's just i mean he's obviously an illinois kid and he's just a great story uh in the chicago area but what has he done um for folks that because it's not he's not a box score guy he's not someone you can just look at the box score and understand why he's plus 11 on a random tuesday night like he is someone that you have to watch the entire game to understand how he's affecting it and how, what he is doing who would you compare him to that you've seen across the league to this point point? and what have you seen that just has been like okay this dude's a player and he's actually should be in our long-term plans
1: as far as the comparison goes, like my old man likes to say he's Patrick Beverly with a jump shot with the his, the way that he plays defense, you know, and Patrick yeah. Beverly's another Chicago guy. So mm-hmm. I mean that's that's kind of cool. That's what he what he likes to say. As far as watching him on the night, uh, you know, on a nightly basis, and, and things that he does that impresses me is we have to understand he, he is a second round rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, he was robbed of the first round. I believe that. I watch a ton of Illinois basketball, not just because I'm from here, it's just because you know I love college ball and Illinois is my team, whatever. But mm. I mean, he was really good there, and there's a reason he was a Big Ten Player of the Year. You know, there's a reason for that. This year, with the injuries that came from this team, and how he was thrust into this rotational spot, and then all of a sudden the starting spot, and mm. what he's done with that, he's got like three or four double doubles to his name as a rookie. He's playing alongside guys like Demar Derozan and Zach Levine, helping <laughs> them win ball games, and he's doing the things, little things that Lonzo and Caruso kind of did too by playing that defense. He's obviously not as good as them yet, and maybe he will be one day. Um, another big thing about him too is I think that he was a really sneaky shooter for a lot of people because I, Io was not you know deemed a three-point shooter when he was in college by any means necessary, and this kid is shooting 40% from three on 2.3 attempts per game. So when Demar and Zach are getting their opportunities to work, Io's hitting his shots, and it, it's just working out for him. I know the – uh You know, if you go down and you look at his um, his numbers, eight point four points per game isn't you know sexy or anything like that. But if you go through his starting numbers, you'll see that this kid's actually a problem, and he could be a starter in the league. So I'm excited that we have him. Is
0: would Bulls fans be just devastated if y'all lose in the first round? Like based on where you're sitting right now, because of the kind of season that you've had, that you were in the number one spot for so long, you've Like some people were like, oh, they can maybe be a play in team. I imagine that before the season, Bulls fans were not expecting to be as good as you were right away. And you were just positive. You're like, it should be better, but we're not going to run the East for the majority of the regular season. And now the expectations get raised. And not to bring everything back to Atlanta, but this is something that happened this year with the Hawks, where you go to the Eastern Conference Finals when you're not supposed to, and then you have the season from hell. And now it's just like the sky is falling, and so no one's happy. There's not one happy Atlanta Hawk right fan right now, and I just wonder, like, if you don't win a first round playoff series, especially with just the DeMar DeRozan stuff and just how much fun and how incredible of a story it's been for them and his playoff narrative. Like we just have to talk about that. It's like DeMar DeRozan's playoff history is that like, I am just so fascinated by what happens with Chicago in the postseason because the East is a bloodbath and it's going to require nuance. Like the East is not like the West this year where the West is top four seeds are all going to win. There's a huge discrepancy between the top half and the bottom half in the East, I mean, you have Brooklyn sitting there at the bottom. You and have in the plane, a, yeah. Like that's <laughs> the
1: plane, man. It's nuts.
0: The Hawks could get in there, and the yeah. Hawks with a healthy Hawks team down, Like they, no one wants to play Trey Young in a seven game series. Like they still don't want that. Um, I, I just think there's going to require some nuance if they do go down to like a red hot Boston team, or if Philly falls down a little bit, or I mean, Cleveland in a bloodbath series. I think Cleveland would probably hurt the most um if they were to lose a first round series but I don't know what 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 do what is your perspective and what are the fans perspective about that possibility
1: total disclosure I'm a homer like to <laughs> the max so just I thought that they were going to be way better this year listen when you have talent okay. like v- Vucevic DeRozan and Levine on the court after Levine's year last year and De- the DeRozan hate was misplaced go look at his numbers in San Antonio dude was doing things over there too it's just not was on a big scale he didn't have ta- a ton of talent around Mm-hmm. You know, it is what it is. It's just the truth. I didn't think he'd be a superstar, though. I'll tell you that. Like, he mm-hmm. has played like a superstar for a majority of this year. Um, So I thought that they would be good. I thought that they were a, definitely a top six. I did not think they were a play-in team. And I, and even putting the homer aside, I really thought that looking up and down at the roster. Um, The only thing that bothered me about the Bulls was size, and that is still plaguing us to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, is the, the lack of size on the team in its entirety. Um, as far as getting into the playoffs and a first-round exit being a bad thing, well, yeah, I mean, that would suck for sure. That would, That's not ideal. But at the end of the day, we haven't been there since 2017. This is good experience for younger guys that are on the team. But then you also have, like, that's like the good, you know, angel on your shoulder. Then here's like the demon on your shoulder. It's like, wow, this sucks because Vooch is getting older. DeRozan's getting older. You don't know if you're going to get another season like this out of DeMar DeRozan again because, again, I think he could be good next season. Do I think he's going to be great within MVP consideration? <laughs> I wouldn't put money on it. Let's just say that. Um, so I don't want to say a first round loss would be a total disappointment because again, you know, Zach has never made the playoffs before, you know, um, we, we do have a young team kind of, so it's just as a fan, I would hate it because I love that atmosphere of being at United center, being a season ticket holder is nothing else. Like it's like nothing else. just being at United center when the bulls are winning. Um, but I, I wouldn't like want to go play in traffic if they got, you know, if they got bounced either. I understand the trials and tribulations they went through this season, and it's hard to rebound from that no matter what kind of team you are. And I am in the minority of Bulls fans, I think, or maybe it's not the minority. Maybe it's split down the middle and half and half, that I don't think we have a true superstar on the team. Mm -hmm. I think that we have stars on the team, and there's a distinct difference. I'm sure you, you know this. You have a budding superstar on your team. Mm-hmm. You have a guy like Trey Young that can go get you 40, 12 assists and four boards, and he can do it while shooting 46% from the field and like 38% from downtown. You have that guy. The Bulls don't have a guy like that. So everything needs to be clicking for them to make a deep run. It can't be this guy is struggling. That can't happen. If it happens, mm-hmm. it ain't going to work. But right. I f- I fear that that's the problem already, dude. Uh, honestly, Che, that's the problem is because Zach Levine has said, He's only at 70 or 80% right now. Bulls ain't going anywhere if that's the case.
0: Mm. Well, now I'm curious. Um, Chicago, like, you, this is a sidebar, and then we'll wrap up with DeRozan. Um, how would you rank, like when they're all, like at their best, you got the Sox behind you, yeah. Sox, Bulls, Blackhawks, Bears. Mm-hmm. In terms of atmosphere, for folks who have not experienced that in Chicago, what is, how would you rank them in the building?
1: Oh God, that's tough, man. That's a fun conversation to have though. Um, I would have to say that soldier field when the bears are killing it mm-hmm. is, is that'll rock you to your core, man. Hmm. Honest to God, this is a football city. Yeah. I'm a bear season ticket holder as well. So, I mean, it, it's just, that's what it is. It's a football city, even though they're not my favorite team in the city. I mean, I love the bears, but I hate them so much because they hurt me constantly, mm-hmm. but that stadium is, is rocking. The United Center was selling out even when we sucked. Right. And was You're always, always at number one. Yeah. Yeah. It was always rocking. So I would have to say that. And then the White Sox, I would say they have the most devoted fan base, even though it's small. It's mm-hmm. very small. It doesn't sell out the stadium, it's very small. But that fan base, I feel like, is the most passionate about their team. Huh. It, it's it, 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 honestly, it's very, very odd. As far as the Cubs, I won't talk about the Cubs because I'm from the <laughs> south side, so I can't, mm-hmm. do, I can't do that. <laughs> but yeah, it, I would definitely say it was Bears, Bulls, Sox, probably.
0: So Blackhawks nowhere to be found. You table.
1: know. I guess when they were, they were winning cups though, man. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, like I'm 30. So when mm-hmm. I was a kid, they weren't even on TV because the dad yeah. wouldn't uh, put on home games. He wanted people to go, uh, whatever the first words name was. Yeah. Um, so he, they were not big. Obviously huh. when they started winning Stanley cups, that completely mm-hmm. changed, but it's, it's not a hockey town here. It's never been a hockey town. It's, it's not a hockey town. Um, but when they were winning, of course they had support. So, yes, it was rocking at the United Center for that, too. But I wouldn't say the Blackhawks, you know, for most of my childhood and my adulthood, they weren't really very popular until they started winning them Stanley Cups. So, huh.
0: Um, I just I don't know how you do the bear stuff in November, December. I don't know how you sit outside (laughs) for three. Like I the Chicago cold is a different type of cold. Oh, yeah. hurts your face. So you don't even like you're being from Chicago, you don't get yeah. used to it. You don't get used to the Chicago winners.
1: Oh, I mean, dude, it's it's terrible. I mean, I'm not gonna yeah. lie to you. I mean, everybody's like, Oh, it's bare weather. No, dude, bare weather sucks. <laughs> it's cold, it hurts. Everything hurts. But I'm I'm I do have that mentality, though I'm not used to it. Like th- this year, for example, there was uh-huh. a game where it was negative 10 outside. We we got in the car, we drove down there at six in the morning, game started at noon. We got Mm -hmm. into our lot, we tailgated, we grilled up food, drank some beers, and then headed into the stadium, froze to death. We lost, and then we went home. But I mean, it sucks the whole time you're out there, but it's fun because you're with your friends. You know, I mean, it's just, I would definitely recommend doing it once because just to to try it out. But yeah, it's just dress warm.
0: Yeah. How many layers are we talking here? Like, I'm. I'm a skinny dude. I'm a runner, man. Like, I think I would need nine to 10 layers. I think I'm just the, I'm the bubble boy at that point where I'm just, <laughs> I, I don't know how else I could do it. I yeah, might die.
1: It's uh, like probably, you know, three pairs of socks with uh, those little hot hand sticky things that you could stick on the bottom of your socks. Do those
0: work? I've never yeah, used them. Yes, I'm...
1: they do, dude. Yeah, they huh. really do. I've used them snowmobiling before. I only went snowmobiling twice actually. And I used uh-huh. them both times. So my feet were great. So I, I did huh. it at the game and it worked. Um, a pair of insulated boots, uh, about three pairs of long johns, insulated (laughs) pants, three uh, or insulated pants, uh, as many layers as you can put on where you're not like this and go out and have a good time. That's just how we do three
0: pairs of long johns. Oh yeah. Goodness gracious. I don't know, man. That's so much clothes. That's so much clothing. (laughs) I told you. you (laughs) Um, We'll end on this. Um, DeRozan though, MVP type season, for someone like you who've watched every game, what has he done that's transformed this Bulls offense that's led them, especially in uh, Levine's absence? What has made this season so special for DeRozan, for for you and for Bulls fans?
1: I want to say for Bulls fans, it's the chip on the shoulder mentality. Listen, DeRozan, mm-hmm. DeRozan has kind of had a rough time. After he got traded from Toronto and Kawhi went there first year, Kawhi's there, what do they do? They win a title. Yeah. He gets banished to San Antonio for a little bit. Doesn't really go the way he wants it to go. He's not getting recognition there. I feel like a lot of chip on the shoulder type stuff with Demar Derozan. So of course that this city is going to embrace that. You know, mm-hmm. Chicago's blue collar. You know, tough people. You know, that's how, that's what they say. You know, and and a lot of fan of the fan base embraces that. Him coming here, though, I think is a lot bigger than what he did for Chicago. I feel like it's kind of like what he did for the league. I mean, he yeah. brought the mid range back, man. Like he made that cool again to take a midi because when, when Boylan was here back to him and I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this, he mm-hmm. told Kobe white, who's our backup point guard. He came out of North Carolina. I'm sure you already know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told Kobe white at the rim or behind the perimeter. Nope. I don't want a mid range shot out of you. You, mm-hmm. you changed that whole kid's game when he did that. Mm-hmm. So something like DeRozan coming out and averaging 28 points a game while he is like shooting under two, three pointers a game. And he, you know, it's amazing. He's shooting fifty percent from the field. He's just completely had a great season. Um, I, I wish I could tell you what brought it out of him, but maybe it is the chip on the shoulder thing. Because Derozan hits a lot of tough shots. If you watch a Bulls game, like I, I will yell at the TV. I'm not even. <laughs> I, I'll be like, dude, why are you, why are you Kobeing on him right now? Mm. And he just, it just goes in, and you're like, okay, well, now I can't really. Be mad about it because it went in and just consistently over and over again. It's just what he's done all year. And plus, you know, the the veteran leadership out of him that he's been around the block, he's been in the playoffs, he's played with all star teammates before. I really think that that helped. And with the younger players on this team, I think they gravitated towards him. Another guy to bring up again, Io. Io and him are very close. He went to Io's yeah he went to Io's uh, jersey retirement ceremony at the University of Illinois this season. They've been spotted working out together constantly, together all the time. So I mm-hmm. think that was a big thing that Demar did was bring these teammates under his wing. I think that that gave them confidence and him confidence to, you know, do something special. And and, and we've watched it this year in the sixty one games that he's played.
0: Interesting, I uh, it's a great story. And like you said, bringing the mid um, range back. And he's just I like diversity in my NBA. I like diversity in my sports leagues. I like I don't like that the NFL is a fourth uh, Shanahan disciples now. Like it's just a fourth of the league is like running the same kind of zone uh, scheme and it's it's cool that we're that the bulls are different um and we'll see like the easter conference is it just that's what i love so much like you have the Cavs who are playing big you have the Cavs playing laurie at the three and then you have miami who another star who doesn't shoot threes jimmy butler is takes no threes like the, that man takes he lives for hard shots and getting fouled like that's all he's gonna do yep um i don't know i just i think it's gonna be fun the easter conference playoffs are going to be a blast and i just i can't i can't wait
1: yeah, as a fan cuz I know you said you're an Atlanta guy, obviously yeah. I'm a Chicago guy, but as a fan of the NBA and basketball in general, mm-hmm. like I have to just piggyback off what you said. I am so excited to watch the Eastern Conference playoffs this year, especially for people like you and I where the East mm-hmm. has sucked for the yes. majority of I mean what, the 2000s? I mean, they were just yes. not, it was not good a- at all. And now you kind of watch that whole thing flip. And not that I mean I care. I want to watch good Western Conference basketball too, but mm-hmm. it's 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 cool that our teams are in this conference that's a powerhouse. So if yes. you're able to get past one of them, I feel like it makes the pie a bit sweeter if you actually reach the mountaintop, you
0: know? Right. So. Like I'm more it, it probably goes for me like first round east and then second round west. Like mm-hmm. I want to see Grizz Warriors. I want to see yeah, Suns Luca versus Steph potentially in round two. Like I want to see something like that. Like that is more interesting to me. I, I just need to simulate the the first round out west. Um yeah. Buzz, what can the good folks check out from you and the good folks over there on the Bulls podcast and uh, everything else that you got coming out this week?
1: Uh, yeah, you can check us out at uh, Bulls on Tap on Twitter. You can follow me at Buzz on Tap. And for any of your written content, you can go for Chicago sports, you can go to on tapsportsnet.com. Um, after every single Bulls game, we are live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook uh, doing a post game and then usually have people in the comments section and we just kind of do a open floor community type thing where we just all talk about the game, what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find us.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, good luck the rest of the way, sir. Thank you so much for making the time. This was a lot of fun and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon, man.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me on.
0: That is the first time. I just wanted, like John, we we've done so many of these podcasts. And we were just talking about this before we started recording. That I've I, I said some things that, that no other humans ever said, and I wanted to make a sound to start this podcast that I've never done and that I don't know if anyone else has ever done. Yeah,
3: I mean, li- this is this is a freeing moment for you. This is a new a new moment for you. So you should just embrace it with all your strength.
0: I think so. I think so. John Taylor, great backdrop. We're back in the New York City apartment. We got uh the New York City skyline behind you that I'm just always jelly of every week. So we like Almost that. You've got go. that nail yeah, there you go. Um you got the Boston Red Sox hat tonight. Um no minor league baseball coverage this evening. No, I
3: wanted I wanted to go just simple, classic, especially because since you've got the your own World Series thing, I've got. Uh I told it the right way Oh, too little 2018 world series champions patch because i'm just i am just that <laughs> level of tacky to remind like people that. around here you know <laughs> what what the what the score is
0: what did uh what happens like do people stop you in new york like no I no
3: nobody, nobody gets a shit around here no that's no one that's kind of that's a funny thing i remember when i when i told people in when i, when I got into i went to college here in new york and i told mm-hmm. people my high school and i told my you know friends and family all knew i was a red sox fan where i was going it's always oh you better be careful the yankees fan Red (laughs) Sox. it's literally never been like that i've like i've never i can think of like i can count on one hand the number of times that i've ever had like an unpleasant interaction at like yankee stadium or, or with a yankees fan because of baseball like for the most part no one here really cares which i appreciate it's I would, although on the other hand, I'm kind of disappointed because I was <laughs> looking forward to like just hearing like it's just something funny about just hearing some dude yell, you suck, like or Red Sox suck, just out of nowhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Where it's just like, I, I love the idea that here people try to, you know, they don't even try to convince you of their point of view. They're just here to tell you that your point of view is stupid and wrong when it comes to when it comes to sports. I, I love that. And it's like I, I never really gotten any of that, you know, and that's kind of sad. Even even having been here. For three Red Sox World Series wins and having mm-hmm. the opportunity to walk around here, you know, in Red Sox gear and everything.
0: Never really get anything. I will tell you that That's that would be different. John Taylor. I would never have guessed John Taylor wants the smoke. But folks, you heard it here first. John Taylor wants that smoke in New York City. So if you see John Taylor rocking the Boston Red Sox cap and you're a New York listener. Please make leave sure- me alone.
3: <laughs> don't don't approach me.
0: What's the weirdest New York City interaction you've ever had?
3: I would need at least an hour to think of. <laughs> like, there's so many candidates uh, that I. I th- this city is nothing but weird interactions. <laughs> no one, no one you talk to or or come across in this city is normal in any mm-hmm. sense of the word. So you're you're always having weird interactions. And some of them are just weird on the face, like where you just you're like, oh, this is just so obviously weird <laughs> because th- of course. And then there are ones where it's only like an hour later. You're like, that was weird. Wasn't it? Or just like, I don't know. It, I I can't, there's, it's, I've had so many, I can't even think of one off the top of my head. Really? Like the thing too, is like, you just, I I mean, you know, I try, you want to be friendly, but you also want to be, I think there's a the idea that we're, like in in New York, people are are friendly, but they're not nice. Do you know what I mean? Or perhaps the other way around. Like, you know, people will hold the door open for you or, you know, say bless you if you sneeze or whatever, but like, nobody wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're not like, this is one of those things where it's like when I visited the, like the Midwest, I've just always been, or any real, I guess really anywhere in the United States, it isn't New York. Just always <laughs> so blown away by like people who like, are just want, just our strike up conversation out of nowhere. I was like, what do you, why are you talking to me? What do you want? Like, do you, like, I'm only used to being addressed if someone needs something or if I'm being asked to get out of someone's way, really you know that that's really about the the only human interaction you need to a certain degree with strangers, but New York really just kind of calcifies it into it's like, we'll help you if you need help, but otherwise stay the hell out of my way and and I kind of appreciate that
0: you appreciate the stay out of my way or you appreciate when you go to other places and no, I appreciate my... the
3: stay out of your way I mean it's not that I don't appreciate the 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 open friendliness and warmth of other people it's just that i'm Mm -hmm. very used to how it works here and how it works here is also how my like i think how i just operate best anyway Mm -hmm. so i i like the kind of i I like that in new york you just you people leave you alone for the most part like you know you you, everyone is everyone is left to their own devices the great majority of the time you know you don't really have folks trying to like get up into your space also because (laughs) most new yorkers have made it pretty plain if you try to get into their space they will assault you.
0: In some capacity. I don't really have those interactions in Knoxville. I had it uh, in Atlanta. Atlanta's, uh, it just depends on what street you're on for the most part. Um, but yeah, Atlanta's hit or miss, uh, depending on uh, where you're at. But I don't know. I think that's interesting because I people misconstrue. And this is like the and we'll talk baseball in a second. But uh, theoretical baseball, because baseball's not actually happening right now outside of college baseball. But people, because of what I do. And because of the podcast and things like that, they assume I want to talk. They assume that that's like my, my natural disposition. But John Taylor, as I think you well know, that is not what I want at all. Like I'm just like the sports Renaissance woman. That's it. Like I'm good after this. That's all. That's all I need. You, you I don't want
3: to talk all the time. Like I, yes, I would imagine I don't want you, it. you would want a break from that.
0: Right. But it's, it's rough because dudes love to talk sports. Dudes when you're out, they want to be like, oh, that's what you do. What do you think about the Yankees and Chapman? And Dude, I'm like, I just want be, to, eat. dudes, be talking sports. Dudes, be talking sports, John. And I hate it. I I hate it. I, I cannot stand it. And it's it's a bummer because there's a huge disconnect where, like, you know how like there's people, um, and we like there's all kinds of different podcasts. But something that I've like, I'm always gonna be authentic on this podcast. I'm never gonna pivot to something that. It's not me and just something that just doesn't fit with my ethos. And one of those things is like constant listener interaction, like those live shows where you're like doing live comments and stuff. That's a nightmare for me. That's a nightmare. Can't do it. We'll never do it. You're uh, never,
3: never going to subject yourself to a live
0: stream. Yeah, it's never happening. I, I just I would be so overwhelmed and so frustrated by all of that. Like I I, I, I know who I am. Like I, I couldn't do that. That's it's not in my DNA. That is not something I want to do. Um, the anxiety levels just through the roof, through the roof. Couldn't do I can, it. I can
3: understand that.
0: John Taylor, would yes. you like to guess who we're going to hit today? In, uh today in baseball history, shout out to uh, national.com. I,
3: I, I read the, <laughs> the outline for the episode. So,
0: well, that was a mistake on my end. I should have withheld that. Uh, if it's I'll any
3: consolation, out. I actually, uh, in the time since I read it, actually have forgotten. So if you had asked me, I would have not known.
0: Okay. Well, I got I've got it for you, John. Uh, Today in 2001, 20 years ago today, or 21 rather, quote, in a press release, the Orioles announced Albert Bell has been found to be disabled and unable to perform as a major league baseball player due to a degenerative right hip. The Orioles will place the 34-year-old outfielder on the 60-day disabled list, thus beginning the process which conforms to the procedure set forth by Major League Baseball in the case of a disabling and permanent injury to a player. I didn't realize Bell was like the the trailblazer here, did you?
3: I I had not known that either. I mean the mm-hmm. the thing I am just at the age where guys like Albert Bell were kind of the last group of major league stars that I didn't experience in my youth. Mm-hmm. Those dudes who had kind of gotten who started getting really big in the late 80s and the early 90s, I guess better sense to get a big I, I missed their peak like I missed Albert Bell's peak mm-hmm. as a baseball fan because I really wasn't paying attention until about 97 98 and by that point, you know, he was, you know, I mean, given that we're talking about something that happened three years later, he was already, you know, pretty close to the end. And by then he was way more known as Albert Bell, the jerk ass with the corked bat <laughs> who nobody likes as opposed to Albert Bell, the jerk ass who nobody likes, but who's an incredibly terrifying hitter. So, yeah, but I, I had not known that that was one more of his particular contributions to baseball history. That, what a fascinating and wild like career that guy had. Just all the various weird peaks and ups and downs. And The thing I do, remember because I, I was paying attention to baseball when that happened, I knew Bell by that point that he was, you know, that he had been injured and he was he was pretty close done. But I do remember it still being a surprise because I think he still had time left on his contract uh, when that happened. So I think there was a, kind of the assumption. I'm not really sure why. And you probably go back and, and think about it. But um, I think there was that assumption that Bell was just going to keep playing and just be bad and that that was just going to be it because he was a selfish malcontent who just didn't care. Uh, and it turned out, no, actually, he was really seriously hurting and literally could not play baseball anymore.
0: It, it's like this um it's it's just funny because i was thinking about it's not even really funny i shouldn't say funny it's interesting i guess because i mean they just did this with chris davis right like chris davis just fell off a cliff and they had so much money owed to chris davis and it was like chris davis should we put him out there like he is actively hurting our team every day he is out there playing for us and albert bell was it was a little bit different with injuries but i don't know it is interesting the orioles we're in a situation twice in the 21st century of like this guy is making a lot of money and he used to be a star and we need him to stop playing baseball because he's actively hurting he's our team
3: actively hurting us <laughs> uh, it's it's funny i was uh, my my copy of the 2022 baseball Prospectus annual uh just showed up the other day oh nice uh i put it on screen but it's so sitting all the are way you over in there. it uh i wrote player comments for the mets and the a's so okay yeah, but I was just I was going through the chapters earlier, just reading through because I hadn't gotten a chance to read through, and I had forgotten that I'd written the blurb for Chris Davis with a K, who last year uh, he w- he finished off with the A's after being on the Rangers for like a month and a half, and yeah, that that kind of similar vibe of just like this dude three years ago was like or however long ago, was a world destroying home run force, and now he is just broken in pieces. And it's just like yeah, Gabe just like chews up and spits those dudes out left and right, but also because I I had reference orioles chris davis in that too so the universe just constantly bringing me
0: chris davis (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how to transition from yeah i don't know i don't
3: know where that was going necessarily even either which sounds like that's also the case with the mlb mlb union negotiations that was that was all right
0: (laughs) there you go there you go john taylor um yeah the latest with mlb union stuff um more games like i guess are we getting another series canceled? I haven't checked uh, Twitter. The
3: MLB suggested today, Tuesday was going to be their next deadline. In terms right of if we, there is no deal agreed to by tonight, there will be further cancellations of games. Uh, the carrot they were dangling there with the very large stick attached was that if there is no deal struck by tonight, any games canceled meant that there would be no possibility of a 162 game season. I guess they would have filled in the games we've already lost from the first two series being canceled somewhere else that's not something the league can decide unilaterally (laughs) Um, schedule. The the schedule needs to be collectively bargained as does. And this is also extremely important. uh, The players pay in terms of, you know, whether or not they get paid for games essentially that are not played. So no deal tonight. And I would, I would imagine that barring something very strange that there probably won't be a deal because I just, I don't see where and we get into this later, but uh, assuming there is not a deal tonight, I, I guess better to say the negotiations are about to get a lot more complicated because then we're going to start talking about how many games do we play this season? Do we try to play all 162? And MLB is right. At a certain point, 162 is going to be just impossible because of the, the sheer, just, just because of the calendar. There's just not enough time left to play baseball. But then, of course, we're going to shift to a much nastier conversation about uh, sorry about how long the season is going to be. And you can imagine the owners are going to be petitioning for as short a season as possible for postseason still to be a, a realistic thing. Because all they, as we talked about last week, the only thing they really care about is that there is a postseason because of all the revenue that's going to come attached to that. Uh, if there's an expanded postseason, thanks to the TV rights, they've already sold to ESPN for that round. On top of that, you know, I, I can't imagine that there's going to be a fun conversation over player pay with regards to the games that are missed the union is going to insist as is their collectively bargained right that they that that particular thing needs to be collectively bargained the league simply cannot decide that there will be no 162 game season games will not be made up and players will not be paid for those games missed that's not something the league can do so i mean it's this weird position right now where just kind of hopes a deal gets done, even if it's not the best deal the union can get at this point, because I'm pretty sure that from this point going forward, any deal is going to come with, one, a significantly shortened season, and, and two, is going to feature just a lot of... Ac- it's just going to be a really unpleasant path to get to what needs to happen from that point going forward. But the other part of me is just like... the Andy McCullough wrote about it in The Athletic, and I think he's put it the best. A feeling I've just been kicking around in my head, but that he articulated really well. The owner has already won this negotiation. No matter what collective bargaining agreement comes out of this, no fundamental, no substance, no substantial fundamental changes are being made to the economics or finances of the game. Free agency is still going to take six years arbitration still is going to take uh, three years to get to, except for, except for some who get there a little earlier. And maybe that, maybe that group of players will be a little bigger. And now there will be possibly some money to give to guys who are good within those first three years. is just like a bonus, which is just so if nothing else, just feels patronizing, but I, I get it. Like, but free agency is still the same. Arbitration is still the same, you know, a draft lottery, slightly higher CBT, whatever, like none of those change fundamentally anything about the game itself. And even the rule changes that they're looking at, most of them don't particularly, I mean, they will have some impact, obviously, but none of them are really all that, you know, th- there's nothing seismic there either, you know? Robo-umps, uh, potential, you know, raising or lowering of the mound or an extension from 60 feet. All that big, huge, like, like significantly game-changing stuff, that's not even part of any of these. But I mean, just Big bases. That, bigger <laughs> bases, which is honestly a good thing. Like, those are being designed mm-hmm. with safety in mind, and that's a good idea. But like at least economically, financially, the owners already won the CB the CBA that's going to come out of this is going to be probably just like the last one with some tweaks, which is a CBA that they had already won, which was itself a copy of a CBA that they had already won. Like, moreover, the players just do not have the power or the leverage to change the game if the owners simply decide that the playing games doesn't matter to them. How do you negotiate with a group that just won't negotiate? You know, this isn't about. This isn't even about protect the, the owners keeping the game or, or rob man for the league or, or the combination of every one of the above. This isn't about them, you know, protecting the game from some fundamental change that's going to, you know, render it baseball like we've never seen. This is just about making sure their slice of the pie doesn't get smaller when it's already enormous. That's the only thing that matters to them. Because keep in mind the thing that has been the largest and most consistent sticking point in all of these negotiations has been the collective bargaining tax thresholds. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about differences of like the players for pro- the players proposal starts at two hundred thirty eight million dollars, which would be an eighteen million dollar increase from what it was last year. And that is too that is too far for the owners to go. Eighteen yeah. million extra dollars for something that two thirds of the league won't even get to won't even come won't even come near that's how much we're talking about that's it this is this is such what makes this fight so pointless and stupid and just infuriating i think above all else is just that that this is just all over this is all over owners not wanting to not or this is about owners not wanting their share of revenue to go from 65% to like 58% yeah that's really all this is and they won't do even that and so to a certain degree, I almost want to tell the I almost want to tell the players kill the whole season. See how they put like if this is how they want if this is if this is the or better said, like this is to a certain degree, and I think this is going to be especially the case coming out if we come out of tonight with no deal. You know, the players have the the bargaining chips of the expanded playoffs and the international draft, which are worth something. But beyond that, I think we both agree there's not really a whole lot else that they have the they have power with, except for a strike. Yeah, That is, it's the nuclear option, but I'm, I almost wonder if it's what has to happen at this point. I don't necessarily think now is the time. I don't know. I don't think it's, this is the, this is not the ideal time to try to reinvent MLB's economic structure for the better. But my worry is if, it, if there is no attempt made now, when the hell is there ever going to be?
0: Well, I also think, so if I don't they, think the
3: own, the owners aren't going to get any weaker anytime soon, especially if the new CBA is exactly the same as the old CBA
0: the owners i think we've talked about this a lot but they they won with the playoffs like the expansion the expansion of the playoffs and we saw that the players are warming up to a 14 team playoff and stuff like that i
2: mean what
3: i mean to a certain degree like on a purely like on a pure baseball level for them i'm sure there are a lot of guys who are like an an expanded opportunity to go to the postseason yeah cool i'm all for it like there are probably some dudes who are like, no, basically like the crusty guys or whatever. Like I'm probably there too. It's like, I want the regular season to mean something, but I can completely understand why on the whole, you know, if it weren't for the, if it weren't for its existence as a bargaining chip and a leverage tool, players are probably all for expanded post-season.
0: I also, I don't know, like the thing about the expanded post-season, we've seen this in college football. And I think we've seen this again this year in the NFL, but um, traditionally speaking, you, you can expand the post-season this, the best teams are still going to win out. Like by and large, there might be a team, a wild card team, that makes some noise, but by and large, the Dodgers are still—they're going to be in there at the end. The the Astros that we've seen are still making it through in next and postseason. I don't really worry about that. Where fans like the sky is falling of like, oh, there will be way more. Just the the topsy turvy where the regular season doesn't matter because those teams that won a bunch of regular season games they get ousted by a team that shouldn't have been in the playoffs to begin with. Yeah, but that, thought of that.
3: that already happens anyway. I mean, that's right? That's the 2007 Rockies. That's the yeah. 1997 with the 97 Marlins, and again the 2003 Marlins. That's the whichever whichever World Series winning Giants team it was that won the wild card. Same with that Royals team that won the wild card. Like, and everyone, well, not everyone, but those teams were for the most part fan favorites. Like people liked those teams. You know, people like upsets and they like underdogs. I how mean, is it I,
0: legal to negotiate a 14 team playoff with television networks and sign a deal for a 14 team playoff when you haven't even uh signed that into a new well, CBA. i didn't understand other, that And that's
3: the other side of this too is that i i almost feel like the players need to try to if there really is this belief and i and i don't think it's untrue it if it may not be exactly the point but i do think it is the root of everything that the whole point of this isn't isn't so much about the CBA or the league or anything, but about breaking the effective power of the union and making sure that they can, and that from this point going forward, the league and its owners have the first and final say over whatever happens in the sport. And the players are just there to exist. Basically. Then I, I I almost like the idea of the player strike being the, being the kind of the opposite side of that, because this is a group of, of people both rob manfred and the owners he represents who refuse to negotiate in good faith and refuse to do things in good faith and i think you like i think selling the playoff or selling the the television rights to a playoff round that doesn't exist yet because you're already so you, you've already determined it will that the next collective bargaining agreement will have it or else there will be no baseball H- i how are you supposed to respond to that as a player similarly with uh with today's news that uh, starting this season, if we do get a season, uh, they are going to be two games a week now aired on Friday nights. So it's a Friday night doubleheader on Apple Plus, which yeah. I, I have my own independent thoughts on as just to how I feel about that. Which for the most part is I hate it. But you hate it. i have a strong I mean, take. Okay, I do. But I, I just I just want to say, like, Hold on why do you have
0: a strong take on this? What what is the what did Apple TV oh, do you'll, to you'll you, John? See, but-
3: my my thing mostly is that that is a deal that MLB has almost certainly been working on for quite some time yeah. and the rumor the the rumor is that they also are going to have a streaming deal with Peacock coming soon to take the midweek games that ESPN no longer wants to air so they'll be putting more that'll be more revenue for them but that which is the point I'm trying to make here is that on top of everything else not only do they have not only have we been hearing Owners and, and, and Randy Levine was the most recent guy to go on the radio and claim there's not, enough, there's not as much money as you think when they're about to get Apple money, Apple money. The richest company on the face of the earth is about to give them no strings attached money, followed by NBC Universal giving them no strings attached money, followed by Disney giving them no strings attached money. And on top of this, this is something that the league did not want to announce. That Apple news only came out because of app because Apple announced it as part of their whatever they call their here's a new piece of technology thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only reason it was announced. MLB I'm sure would have would have and I, I this is probably part of why they wanted to get things done so breakneck too. They much would have preferred having a CBA already set in place before announcing, by the way, here are three entirely new revenue streams that are probably going to bring in close to half a billion dollars to the league all at once. It is interesting that too.
1: is, is yeah.
3: that is its own negotiation in bad faith because you're just you're constantly shifting the parameters and the context of the debate itself. That's I, I don't know how ultimately the players union works with this with unless they really do the take the drastic steps and do the big things that will change this game fundamentally because these are people Rob Manfred and these owners cannot be trusted to do the right thing at this point they can only be trusted to do the thing that makes them the most money which is which is where the apple the apple plus stuff comes from and th- my take on that is just this for a sport that's already experiencing declining viewership issues that already has a, re- a reputation of being just not part of the public consciousness How does taking two games a week off of TV making them exclude? And this is like, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to put games on streaming networks. That's a great idea by all means. Like the NFL and their Amazon with their partnership with Amazon very clearly hit upon something that every league is going to go is going to do going forward. And although are you would know the answer to this, are those, are those NFL on Amazon games exclusive to Amazon? Can you only watch them on Amazon?
0: I'm pretty sure that's part of the Thursday night deal is I think they are exclusive like Amazon's paying a lot of money I think to get the exclusive because okay. they, they used to like flip it or you could watch it on like Fox and Amazon or something but now I'm pretty sure you have to yeah, have those, Amazon those Thursday
3: night games used to be on either ESPN or NFL network right?
0: Well, they like rotated, so like I think it started out like every week was different. Like it would be on Fox one week, um, ESPN one week, or whatever. And now, um, but now
3: it's it's always it's always and only on Amazon, right? Okay, so MOB is following that same model, which again makes sense. The difference is, and and part of it is just, part of it's just a scale. Like the NFL is going to pay is going to get Amazon because they want their product to be in the most households possible. Because even if it's only on Amazon Prime. If you have an Amazon subscription, you almost certainly have a Prime subscription, which means you almost certainly can watch and you can watch it from literally friggin anywhere. Apple Plus is something that not nearly as many people have. It is second tier subscription service, which is its own problem because now you're taking two games and putting them somewhere or putting them on a platform that most people don't have. And I understand that there is that attempt where it's like, "Oh, maybe we'll woo over some people, you know, who are just who are Apple Plus users who just who want to watch a baseball game which I I don't really know what the market really there is. Like, how many people are going there to watch an episode of Ted Lasso and after it's over <laughs> going? You know what I really feel like watching right now is Mariners Padres.
0: Well, see, this is why I'm not the person that that they're going after cuz like I'm watching the game. That's like I'm I don't know who those people are. I'm I'm with you, but I'm also like, I don't think I can know because the way I watch baseball, like I watch the Braves, but then I also like will pick the team that I'm keeping up with that week. Sure. So if that team happens to fall on Apple TV that week, guess who's watching Apple TV that night? But that, but that's that,
3: me. That's, yeah, that's the flip side of it. If there's a Red Sox game on a Friday night on Apple Plus, I'm not going to watch it.
1: Really? I'm not going to okay.
3: pay $5 a month just just for the chance, just to watch what is probably going to amount to three or four Red Sox games all season on a night when I might not be inside anyway.
0: That's on, the other could have, like, John. You're taking valuable content opportunities away from us because you and I could be talking about home before dark. One of my favorite shows on Apple okay, TV. Now, now
3: we're doing SpawnCon.
0: <laughs> and then we can uh, bring in the Chris Evans show, uh show that he did that one season uh, with the kid who may or may not have killed his friend. Uh, what was that? Um, you,
3: you, you're you're this is but this is the thing like. Aside from Ted, I was Lasso, doing a long would,
0: bit and I didn't, I didn't land the bit. I'm sorry. Aside Tom.
3: from Ted Lasso, a few Tom Hanks vanity projects. And actually that's it. That's all I can think of that. I know that I know for sure is on Apple plus.
0: It's the not Jacob is what it's called by the way. It's not a streamer
3: that a lot of people are going to have. And it's also not a lot of streamer. A lot of people are going to get when you factor in that these people are either already paying a for MLB TV, the best streaming platform for any sport, which is also the most frustrating thing. MLB already has a really good streaming platform. (laughs) All they need to do is make it better in some really simple ways and get rid of blackout restrictions and people would pay any amount of money they charged for it. Instead, you can now pay either $130 a year plus also five bucks a month for two random games on a Friday. Or if you're already paying $120 a month or whatever it is for cable, guess what? you now have the the chance at one Friday that every now and then your team that you are paying money for to see on your television, the way you want to guess what no longer available on an entirely different platform that you now need to install and pay $5 a month for. And that it's only utility is this because aside from Ted Lasso, and I don't know if this is turning into TV critic corner, but like (laughs) aside from Ted Lasso, Apple, Apple plus or Apple or whatever is not really producing shows that you're that make you want to go to that platform. It's not Netflix. It's not Hulu. It's not Amazon. Like it doesn't have that already existing appeal where it would makes, I think if, if MLB had announced a deal with, with be insane, but with Netflix or, or I guess if MLB had its own deal with Amazon, that would suck for a variety of reasons. Mostly the continued enrichment of Jeff Bezos, but on the other hand, it would make sense. Amazon is highly visible. It's huge. They have ungodly amounts of money. They have lots of shows and movies people want to watch. Their prime membership is a, is a thing that a lot of people have. Like That, I think, makes more sense in terms of we're going to be able to find the people who are not like you and me, who are already watching baseball and are already going to be watching baseball, and it doesn't really matter what platform it's on. We're going to watch it all the same. That's how you find the fans who are just like, oh, yeah, baseball. Like, I haven't thought about this in a while. Or that's where you put a marquee Friday night matchup and people go, oh, man, a Yankees Red Sox game. That sounds like a fun thing to watch literally anywhere I want on my phone or on my TV or my laptop or my iPad or what. That's good. But putting on an Apple Plus is just that to me just strikes me more as Apple. Obviously, Apple wants to get into the live streaming sports game. And MLB was the most willing to take their money and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that only that i don't really see how you improve the game by taking by paywalling part of it in exchange for i'm not really sure what it's a second tier subscription service this is the same problem that that the this is the same case with peacock if in fact mlb does make a deal with peacock people don't go to peacock the only reason most people have peacock is so they can watch office reruns You know, you're not like if if any hold on, hold on,
0: hold on. Shots fired at the Law and Order reboot that is in season. But but the people who are
3: going to watch the Law and Order reboot are watching basic cable NBC on their TVs. They're watching linear TV. The people who watch NBC watch NBC. Peacock is just for office for if you want to binge office episodes or if you had to download it to watch the Winter Olympics. And it should be noted NBC's sports production in general is absolute garbage they are a bad sports production group especially when, like they've been awful at the olympics for god knows how long at this point it, it's funny to me to make even to make a deal though with one of the major broadcast networks but end up with zero of your games <laughs> on their network if that's what in fact what the peacock thing is going to be you're basically accepting second class le- like second class status as a league this is nhl shit this is taking money from whoever happens to be handing it out and while i don't while i don't necessarily think that getting on streaming platforms is a bad idea like you should be able to do better in all senses of the word than apple plus and peacock those are not the streaming services people ha- i mean would you be surprised if six months from now nbc universal announces that there is no more peacock yes okay fine <laughs> <laughs> My thinking was more that these things cost like streaming services cost a ton of money for all these for these various places because they all, you know, you're either producing original content or purchasing content from somewhere else to air on your network or on your streaming service or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that it's one thing when you have Amazon and Netflix and Google money. Mm -hmm. It's another thing when you're NBC Universal and the, the most popular thing on your streaming service is a show that's been off the air for almost 10 years. Or it's another thing when you're Apple Plus, and you're granted you have, or you're Apple granted you have more money than than literally anything on the earth. They'll sink money into this for forever. But at the same time, it's like this is an like, again, this is an app that people. I'd be if you can stop any person on the street. well not any person on the street, but I, I guarantee most people who regularly watch TV could not name you an Apple Plus show beyond Ted Lasso. It's not a streaming service or a subscription.
0: There are dozens of us, John. There are dozens of us. And
3: honestly, this, if anything, is more beneficial to H to, to Apple than it is to MLB, because what Apple wants is those folks who come to Apple Plus purely for the baseball, than to be like, oh hey, that Ted Lasso show everyone's been talking about. I should check that out. Apple gains way more from this than MLB does. There's That's no true. casual Ted Lasso fan who's just gonna stumble into a baseball <laughs> game for the hell of it. And I don't necessarily understand like you're going to be trying to advertise these games is like double a Friday night double header. Here's what you got to do. Pay $5 a month for a subscription service that has nothing else you want on it. Install (laughs) it on your TV, which is a wildly complicated process nowadays, especially if you're part of the demographic that MLB has its biggest sway over the elderly, for all intents and purposes, but men, Mm. men over the age of 45 in particular, like, You know, deal with whatever lag, whatever bad Internet, bad lag production problems you've got, which is another thing, too. Like this is this like getting on all those streaming services, I think, makes a lot more sense if you know for sure. And and this maybe is the case with baseball in particular because of the rich white man demographic that you have a fan base with. Good access, otherwise you're not going to watch the game. That I mean that's a, that's a problem in its own too just going away from terrestrial cable and television away from basic cable and the big networks. I understand why it's happening because those things are not necessarily where you make money anymore. But that period of time where you're trying to figure out what's next is really dangerous when it comes to whether or not you can keep fans around. And I just don't know that go expanding to that the pot- potential upside of putting yourself on again second tier subscription services that most people don't have and are not going to want to stick around for. Or maybe they do want to stick around for, but I don't necessarily know that, that, you know, the two games a week really changes that calculus all that much. And in, in exchange, you're cutting out, you're making it harder for people to, for your just regular audience to watch baseball. Or not even so much harder, you're just putting more hoops in place.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't want to sign up for 10 subscription <clears> services in order to be able to watch an entire baseball season. I think it's just also
0: like the difference in why this works for the NFL and it'll work for college football if they do this is that the games are sparse and like there's so many people that will watch a random Thursday night game.
1: Yes, I was always always
3: astonished by the Thursday night NFL viewership numbers because it always featured the shittiest teams with the smallest. It doesn't matter. People watch it and it doesn't matter. People watch it anyway.
0: Baseball's not like that. And baseball no. is a regional sport. And it's just like you said, I think what will happen the most out of all of this is you will find frustrating, frustrated fans who want to watch their team on that Friday night. And they're all like, "What?" they're going to just be tweeting at, uh, at Mariners. Yeah. What, what, what channel are you guys how many, on? How many, beat, how many beat writers have
3: you seen in the last <laughs> couple seasons, especially once MLB started doing their, uh, and I, I'm, I hope this is over because this was an appalling experiment their facebook broadcast which was oh. one of the worst ideas one of the worst ideas the league's probably ever had how many times did you see a beat writer on twitter over and over again telling fans the game is on facebook it is not on tv i don't know anything either like putting those games on those net, on those channels on those platforms on those services that only really works like you said if you have a game that has already a really big national exposure or where every week is its own event kind of thing Like I think think YouTube
0: is the right. I think YouTube is what I would do if I was Major League Baseball. YouTube is where I would focus. The kids who are stumbling and looking for highlights and just you got to get younger. And YouTube is the way to do that. Like if you were. I, if I was Major League Baseball, that's where mine. Like, it would not be Apple TV; it would be on YouTube because they, well, they've I mean, done the YouTube hard. broadcasts. But I think that's where you can find people. That is the best way to do it. People can find YouTube, like just yeah, and
3: that's the, and that's it. a funny thing too, right? That they're saying like part of this is because you know the audience is getting younger, and terrestrial cable and TV is not the way anymore. Streaming packages are the way, but then they choose two streaming services that most young people probably never use or watch. Again, right. like I, I do find it. I mean, granted, there are a lot of Zoomers who for some reason binge the office, which I, I don't really understand. Like, what is the appeal there? Exactly? It's a
0: personality trait. Like, I always am nervous about someone who's like, yeah, I'm still still watching a bunch of office like but that. Like, unless you're the only reason I'm OK with that is if you're falling asleep to it, because it, as someone who falls asleep to either Seinfeld or Rested Development every night, I get it. Like I get the comfort yeah, and falling asleep to that. But if you're 7:30 on a Tuesday or on the weekend, you're just popping in uh, the Michael Scott Christmas party episode. Like I, I have some questions about you. I have some, yeah, I have some I, concerns.
3: I do find it funny that MLB is essentially going to be courting office fans and Ted <laughs> fans. So I just in, in uh, inadvertently, but, but yeah, that's part of it too, is that these are, you're not even going to a, a streaming service or platform that young people use. And granted, like, no, there's no way to, to put a baseball game on TikTok, although I can imagine that Rob Manfred currently has at least 25 interns working on that as we speak. <laughs> but I think, like you said, YouTube makes a ton of sense or something else. Or, hey, maybe your own existing streaming video platform that's <laughs> really, really good. Again, that's kind of the other part of this. There's a better world to be envisioned. And this is, I think, the frustrating thing I find about Major League Baseball right now is that they can't envision a better world, just one where they make more money. Yeah. Because a better world is one where you figure out a way to end your blackout restrictions, to make MLB TV something that everyone can use all of the time. So you're not reliant so much on the big regional sports network bubble that is going to burst inevitably. That's why you're making those deals, right? Because eventually regional sports networks are not going to be able to charge the carriage fees that they do to cable companies and make all the money that they do, which is already happening in a lot of cases. Those TV deals that these teams got in the last few years, all the big a uh, hundred you know in the hundreds of millions of dollars if not if not in the low billion those are that's probably never happening again those deals are now going to be between streaming services and platforms and the league itself directly the league is going to market that not the teams anymore and that like you that's going to be really challenging for baseball and i don't particularly understand why these are the streaming services you pick if you're going to start making that transition again Pour there's one a out better for, yeah Or again, there's just there's a better world possible where you just get you make your own already good streaming service the best by far by getting rid of blackout restrictions and by making whatever user tweaks need to be made. And it's MLB TV. It's a buggy ass. It's a buggy ass thing sometimes that can be improved. But instead, MLB just seems content to put that responsibility on someone else. Or again, they're going to be asking people, okay, you pay your cable bill or your Internet bill and you pay for MLB TV. And now you're also going to be paying for Apple TV. And also now you're going to be paying for Peacock. And like, where, does it, where does it end? It is just about hoovering as, much, as many pennies and dollars as they can out of us before, the, before most of us just go, enough, forget it. And who's going, to decide, who's going to say enough, forget it first? Casual fans, the ones you're trying to keep in the first place. They're the ones who are going to be like, I don't want to spend $80 a month on four different platforms in order to be able to watch one week of baseball. That's really stupid. And on top of that, I can't even watch my local team unless I have a cable subscription. Like how, how, how do you end up in this position where you're going to be asking people to do this? Not just ask. Not I don't even think ask there's
0: people. any long-term planning. I think it's just like jump from the next money trade to the next. Like there's Pretty no, that, yeah.
3: that is what worries me so much. And that's not just worries me. We're seeing the end results of that with this CBA negotiation, no long-term plan beyond let's suck as much money out of this thing while we can. It's like these people are convinced. And, in, and in, the funny thing is in their actions, they're making it happen that this sport is about to begin its slide out of profitability, that mm-hmm. it's about to disappear from, or at least, and if not disappear, at least become a much smaller part of the American sports and entertainment landscape. And they're the ones making it happen with this ham fisted, indefensively stupid fixation on where the most money can come from right now. again, they were given a, in, in the infamous words of Ted Turner, we have a legal monopoly and we're fucking it up. These are the dumbest people on the face of the earth. I swear to God. And the worst thing is they're taking away a thing we all like in the process.
0: I think that's how we'll end it. That was good. I like that <laughs> ending, John. That was good. Defense rests. Right, I I'm just the, going, the I'm prosecution. Going
3: but here, let me, well, let's, let's give you an update on the labor stuff anyway, since we've got it now. MLB's proposed luxury tax thresholds now start at $230 million and run to $242 million. This is according to The Athletic's Evan Drellick, who has been doing fantastic, fantastic reporting on all this all the way through. But there remain strings attached to CVT and other issues players are concerned with in MLB's offer. Full proposal, not immediately known. That was 15 minutes ago. Given that we've now, I mean, the owner's last offer was 228 for the first year of thresholds. Now they're up to 230. That's we're. This is still incremental progress, and again, not the just deal in,
0: is not coming tonight. If that's no, where they're it's at, incremental
3: I'd... progress, and not just incremental progress, but incremental progress toward a figure that the union has had one had out there for a while, and two is already a step down from what they from where they started. You know, they're they're not even a realistic offer at this point. Would be just yes, two thirty eight, and maybe we figure out the other numbers later. But yeah, two thirty eight is fine. This is this is again, this is haggling over. A, a piece of the pie getting 5% smaller for one group. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And yeah, I, I think if that's at least based on the, if that, if, if, if that reporting is accurate, and again, Evan, no reason to doubt his reporting on that. Then yeah, I, I don't think we get a deal tonight. Now. I think we're in a really, really bad stage. where We now have to start looking at not only a CBA negotiation, but also now we need to figure out how long the season's going to be.
0: Fun times. Fun, fun times. Fun times. Also, baseball don't do this to us where we do this whole podcast and then you just come up with a deal right after this goes up that would not be fun as much as we want that it would be very funny
3: it It would be be extremely funny like Mm -hmm. the funniest thing possible
0: says john Um, taylor who does not do um, the post-production and all of the everything else that happens after the fact but yeah john be hilarious
3: some more reporting by the way from um from russell dorsey of Mm -hmm. valley sports Mm-hmm. Owners willing to go to $240 million CBT threshold in their latest proposal, but hearing that some type of draft pick compensation slash international draft is tied to the increase. Hmm. I, am, I am willing to believe that the players would give up on the international draft, but getting rid of the draft pick compensation has been such a big part of what they wanted, particularly and primarily in this CBA, just as an immediate like beginning to recover from the last two beatings they took. Again, I, I, I just don't, I don't see how this works I, at a certain point. like, And again, if the owners get an international draft and expanded playoffs and basically the same CBT figures, plus the league now gets that 40, gets 45 days as opposed to a full year uh, before they can impose a rule change. The owners in the league get pretty much everything they want. And I don't really see what the players are getting in return at this point the draft lottery doesn't I don't think is going to make any any real impact the the bonus pool for arbitration eligible players is ultimately a drop in the bucket you know there hasn't been any movement on 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 sorry on on, on, on yeah, service time there it is mm-hmm. there hasn't <laughs> been any movement on service time with regards either to arbitration or free agency you know that there just hasn't really been any material gain here it's just been the status quo, but now we've lost our two best bargaining chips, if that's the case. And I, I I don't, I don't see how the players can accept that. I don't see how they can consider that to be any kind of win, much less, much less any, I I don't know how they could come out of that feeling any kind of positive about anything. You know, they're not really, they're not really accomplishing anything. It feels like for anyone, aside from making sure that they don't have to, you know, that maybe when they do this dance in another three or four years or however long it is, maybe they, you know, push it out further than that, that maybe they'll be stronger than it's essentially a kick the can down the road kind of thing, but I don't know how much road there is left uh, for that can to go.
0: There you go. Well, this actually will naturally lead us into our main event of the conversation tonight, John, how much longer can they kick this can down the road before the Houston Astros have mm-hmm. to reset? Do you like that transition, John? Well, like it's, how it's... much? It's funny because like you said,
3: like, or as you were saying, like, yeah, that's, that is, that's very accurate. It's there, the kick there, everyone thought they were finally going to be bad and then they weren't mm-hmm. the Houston Astros story.
0: Well, let's talk about the Astros. What went right for them last year? What went wrong? What is their, uh, the- like again, theoretically when baseball resumes and signings can happen again, uh, what is their, what does their off season look like? What, uh, what do you make of the Astros at the moment, John?
3: So, and, and I'm just wanna, i just want to, I want to start by crediting the, you know, back to the BP annual, the, the Astros essay this year was done by Robert O'Connell and it's very, very good. I uh, highly recommend folks, you know, I recommend folks go get the BP annual anyway. It is probably the best off season reading material you can get, uh, but definitely. Can you
0: still you, get it on Amazon?
3: I believe so, but you can also order sure. it, I think, directly off the BP website, uh, okay. baseballperspectives.com. But particular if you do if you do have a copy if you do want to get a copy especially if you're an Astros fan check out Robert's essay it's very very good um and it makes the point that I you know that uh, like you were saying like we were I think we were expecting this Astros team to be if not worse than at least for something to change Mm
0: -hmm. you know in
3: the wake of the cheating scandal or in the sign ceiling scandal or whatever you want to call it at, at this point um there was I think for I think for a lot of people, probably that hope that this was finally going to be the point where they just died. That you know, the villain has been exposed and now they die. And instead, they won the pennant and almost won the World Series. So, on the one hand, you know, a lot of things went right. And I don't really necessarily know that you can say that things went particularly wrong. I think they just ran into a hot team, and that's a, that's a great majority of it. And I think also that, um, as we talked about when it happened, losing Lance McCullers was probably a really critical factor there too, in just not having that starting pitching depth available that they really turned out that they, that they needed because uh, they they just didn't have enough of it. But regardless, you know, I think there's probably an expectation now again that, okay, now this team is older. They're losing Carlos Correa. Uh, the rest of the American league should be better. They'll actually, you know, the, the A's might be worse, but the Mariners should be genuine competition. Um, you know, This is this when they, you know, is this when they finally crack? And I don't know, man, like at a certain point, it's not even so much about the players on the field as it is the fact that the franchise behind it is just better at this stuff than other franchises. It it reminds me of the way we talk about the Rays, which makes sense because, you know, the Rays and the Astros are, are, have very similar, are just very similar in the way they do things that, you know, it's not even so much a next man up approach as is we'll just find the next man. If it's through, be it through the farm system, through trades, through free agency, maybe not the Rays so much, uh, through the minor leagues, through what whatever it happens to be, and or we'll just take the guys we already have and unlock some secret skill in them that makes them maybe not a full and and great player, but at least makes them super valuable in one particular way that helps us win ball games. They maximize efficiency that team, and at a- certain point you almost stop you almost i, I think it becomes it becomes less about okay who are they not less about but it's important who they lose and who they add on the field but i think just as important is does the, does the organization itself is it still the same what have they done what did they show us last year that's a lot harder to quantify but on the other hand again they won the pennant they almost won the world series like they're they are very clearly very smart and very good at their job and as such i they they kind of reach that that stage of team where it's like, I'm going to keep betting on them until they finally give me a good goddamn reason not to. And like, that's to say that there aren't reasons. Like Alex Bregman has had two really bad years in a row now, and something is very clearly up with him to a certain degree. As I said, like there have guys who are getting older. Jose Altuve is getting older. Uh, Michael Brantley is, you know, still can hit like a, still one of the best pure hitters in the game, but age has pretty much rendered him useless and not useless, but very limited in, 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 in other ways. You know, Jordan Alvarez is a terrific hitter, but he cannot field. And well, granted, Universal DH makes that less of an issue now. You know, it does obviously create roster complications in and of itself. That's a that's pretty thin. But regardless, the Astros are not perfect. They have obviously lost Correa and they do not have an internal a good internal replacement for him unless they go out and sign and unless they go out and sign Trevor's story. There's not really a good option awaiting them on the free agent market either. Similarly, their best pitcher is going to be Justin Verlander at 39 years old coming off Tommy John surgery. So who knows what you're going to get out of that. And while I very much like pitchers like Framber Valdez and Christian Javier and Jose Urquidy and a lot of the other arms they've got there, like we saw last year, and and McCullers, I can't forget to mention him. But as we saw last year, there's a lot of up and down variance with those young guys. And I think that more than anything what that Houston team missed was that Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander guy at the front of the rotation, which granted every team could use that. But at the same time, there are holes if you want to find them on the Astros. But there aren't a whole lot of them. And what holes there are seem like they can do a pretty good job patching them. The Korea Korea's departure, I think, is really the big one where you're like, that's just going to hurt no matter what way you look at it. But the other side of that is, well, now maybe you get now we get a full season of Alvarez, a full season of healthy Bregman, ideally, um, you know, a full ideally a full season of healthy Verlander, which they did not get either in 2020 or 2021. You know, they. They can still do things, and they can still. You know, I haven't even, I haven't even mentioned either Kyle Tucker or Yuli Guriel yet. This this team is loaded, and I think that's what I think stands out to me is, you know, they they may be doing things way, and, and and for what it's worth, I don't think there's any cheating left here. I, I if there are if there is some stuff going on that's you know that's not above board, we're not seeing it, and I think it's honestly kind of pointless and silly to sit here and be like, are they still cheating? Are they? We're never going to, we're not, we don't know. We don't know. And we're not going to know unless we're told, you know, unless someone else comes forward and says, yeah, they were cheating again that time too. But I don't know, man, this team just, they just, they're just, they win. They're just really good. They beat the crap out of you and they pitch the crap out of you. And there's just, it's, it, to me, it's just, we, I think we finally know what it'd be like if the Patriots were a baseball team, you know, it, it very much has that Patriots vibe all the way around, except without the weird old, well, the Patriots old guy is grumpy and weird and the Astros old guy is charming and fun. So I guess that's a significant difference. But otherwise, it does have that same vibe of just like particularly I think in the in, and I think this is what makes the Astros. And this is what complicates the Astros, because on the one hand, like they're a really good team. And I love watching your Elvarez hit. And I love watching Alex Bregman play third base. And I love watching Altuve hit when he's right. And I love like I love so many guys on that team. They are so much fun to watch. But then there are also the guys who got caught in a sign stealing scandal and their response to it was basically to act like it didn't happen and then try to pretend like there was some kind of redemption narrative behind the whole thing of Houston versus everybody, which, no, there wasn't, man. Like, please, like,
0: don't insult us like that. Come on. that just, It's like I, Stafford as a uh, local country guy when he grew up yeah, in it's the just, it's just Texas. Texas. A, it's just like, we
3: don't have upon, to do this. No, it's just put upon image that doesn't match actual reality. And I think, and, and Robert makes that point as essay, but it's like that's what just makes it so hard about the Astros. Like ordinarily we'd be sitting here talking about like this team is so much fun, like it's it's so exciting to watch what we do. Instead, we're just kind of talking about them with this weird mixture of like dread and <laughs> and like just unhappiness. You know, like th- like it's almost like this has to be the the one of the best teams in baseball. These guys that were in a cheating scandal who nobody likes, who are just a bunch of who are a bunch of angry dipshits about the entire thing. I don't know. I mean, I, and I, I well, thankfully the Braves,
0: hold on, hold on, hold on.
3: Yeah. In terms of, yeah, that was a, uh, also, yeah, they gave us the most fun fan base mm-hmm. <laughs> battle of, of in world series history, literally the entirety of America that wasn't Houston and Atlanta, just with their heads and their hands going, just can both lose. Have <gasps> we explored that as a possibility?
0: <gasps> How dare you, John? How dare you? I
3: was not one of these people. I, I, I had, I had skin in the game, clearly, mm-hmm. but you can understand mm-hmm. that. You can understand.
0: That. I'm a little bit concerned now. I don't know how you are actually watching these games anymore. I'm I'm under the assumption I mean, that you were actively rooting against game both sides. Though.
3: I was rooting for okay. win expectancy. That's the worst thing I've ever that, said.
0: So that is... Okay, so I made up a, a couple of phrases before we got started that no one's ever said before what you just said out loud is the most Fangraphs thing i've ever heard in my entire life that is the most Fangraphs sentence yeah i guarantee i love someone,
3: it. i guarantee that's been said so many times out loud
0: yeah dan sambroski said it at some point um maybe, dan, roots for, maybe dan, dan
3: roots for zips not win expectancy
0: that's true oh my god we're dan going roots down to predict
3: dan roots for the probability models
0: okay Jay Jaffe roots for I guess the hall of one fame cases case, but... he's like how does <laughs> this affect the hall of fame that's what i'm reading for we uh this is this
3: is something everyone should know that at fangraphs we don't actually know the names of the players or teams all we know are numbers right like when i when i edit at fangraphs it just it just looks like that scene in the matrix where neo can see the matrix for the first time <laughs> it's all just green code just floating in front of my
0: eyes mm-hmm.
2: look we I have know, a edit- to keep up, so
0: well you also at fangraphs.com go subscribe if you've not already done so but you also have, I think, Correa is your number one free agent, right? He's in the top. Yeah, he's number I mean, he one. was
3: he was our number one before or at the start of the offseason. He obviously remains the number one. Um,
0: is yeah, there a chance he stays? I, what if he just stays? What if they give him the offer? I mean.
3: I, what if the winner, they've had
0: time to think about it. Like, they've had it's time to impossible. think about That's it. That's the thing. It's not
3: impossible. I, w- I wouldn't rule it out completely. Not, not knowing, obviously, anything about how either Carlos Correa or the Houston Astros feel about that scenario. I wouldn't rule it out necessarily. Like there may not be a particularly loud market for Correa when he come when he becomes available. I I don't know. I mean, that's something. And I think obviously when the lockout, if, and when the lockout lifts or, or even before then we'll probably have a discussion as to which team does make the most sense for Carlos Correa, you know, mm-hmm. going forward. But yeah, I, I, don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think if anything, Houston has probably said, we'll keep the lines open and Hey, you know, we'll be, we'll, we're around, but I, I just I would imagine that, if anything, they have not ruled that out. Neither side has ruled it out. But I'd also be really surprised to see it happen. Because I think if it were to happen, it already would have. Because that's the other thing. Houston has not exactly spent much at all this offseason. You know, they, they... Well, I just would wonder, like, at some biggest, point... I is think it back- biggest addition to, point it, to this point was Hector Norese. Mm-hmm. Which, also, I categorically reject. My universe must always have Hector Norese on the Phillies. <laughs> that's the only... Okay. No, nothing else makes sense to me next year. I got, I'm going to watch a Phillies game where Hector Norris has a 0% chance of appearing. That's bullshit. I, I am <laughs> mad.
0: Well, hold on. We know you're not watching a Phillies game next year. No, I'm not we watching know. any Phillies games. Come on. Come on. We, we know that John, you're not doing that.
3: Yeah. Um, Norris is the, is the only move they've made. So there's certainly, there's certainly, or sorry. Um, no, Norris is the only move they've made. So there's certainly room aside from bringing Verlander back too, so there's certainly mm. room, I would guess financially to, to bring Correa back if assuming that they's not going to get the, you know, the deal they offered before, but stranger things have happened. I, I don't, I just don't really see it being the likeliest outcome though.
0: No, I don't either. I don't either. Um, John Taylor, where are we going next? Are we, do we have the, we did the AL East did the AL central or That's the it. AL West. We're it's going in now. now
3: baby. It's time for the solo episode where you talk about the defending world
0: champion, Atlanta Braves,
3: and mm. freddie freeman future tampa bay ray
0: okay that's enough we didn't get to that we ran out of time but that's not a real thing i, I love that, that got out i, I, I saw know.
3: that and i just i just stared at it before I, I had to double check who tweeted it like three or four times i was like that no like i mean i assume every team checks in every now and then with the free agents they like and are like hey what? Well, just on an on a whim what would it take
0: that's probably the that was them was. doing a solid that person doing somebody a solid the <laughs> Tampa bay yeah. rays of like we're hey People are t- it's the people are saying, people are that, saying. Uh, mm-hmm, many people Raiders.
3: are saying that the Rays are interested. In, and that's the thing. Like, obviously, the Rays are interested in Freddie Freeman. Every team in baseball should be interested in Freddie Freeman in some capacity
0: or another. But like, no, they shouldn't. Yeah, the, Back yeah. off. Back off. No, don't want any more interest. I'm already out on the amount of interest. Um, no. we'll,
3: we'll have this conversation later, too, as to which team it would be more painful to see Freddie Freeman. End oh, my up God. On. I'm pretty sure number one is
0: the Mets. Number one's the Mets. Number one's the Mets, number two the Dodgers. actually, I would say Dodgers won because if he does the if he goes the Dodgers route like after the whole history, the last couple of years with the Dodgers to join them, after all of this would be yeah, deflating. But, I mean,
3: on the one hand like well, look at it this way, he's not chasing a ring, he's already got one, he's just chasing more rings, and also he's going home.
0: But also we would have to play them like I don't like the idea of having to play for I don't have to worry about Freeman in the playoffs again with the Mets. I don't have to worry about the Mets in the playoffs. Who has yeah, to Yeah, but then you have to
3: worry about seeing Freddie Freeman 19 times a year.
0: But at that point, I'm just I feel bad for him. I'm like, that's one of those where I'm like, oh, you you got some bad advice. Why did you sign up for the Mets? What what are, what are you doing here? That was that was sad. It's Tom Glavin. Then eventually they'll come back and you're like, Oh, do you remember that time when you were you were in New York with the the black jerseys? Do you remember that era? Tom Glavine? Well, the, well, the
3: good news for you is that Pete Alonso is still alive. So the Mets are not going to sign Freddie Freeman. But
0: it's true. I mean, unless the DH, you could do permanent DH. Uh, Pete Alonso. Um John Taylor. What can the good folks check out at Fangraphs.com this week? Um, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, a lot of good stuff
3: today. We published a fair amount of good stuff. We got our most recent top prospect list out. That was the Twins. Their top thirty-nine. Uh, Dan Sivorski had something really interesting where he looked at the competitive balance tax. You know, made the argument that it is neither it ensures neither competitiveness nor balance, and in fact is not actually really a luxury tax either. So he redesigned it to see what if if there if there could be such a thing as a competitive balance tax. What might it look like? And Justin Choi is a, a guy we hired last year. I really, really like his stuff. He had a really interesting piece today about uh, bat speed and wh- how and why it's possibly the most important thing that or the most important factor for a hitter. So obviously, we'll be keeping up with all the CBA stuff. Uh, depending on obviously what comes out of tonight, we'll have a piece from from Jay Jaffe who's been covering it pretty regularly for us. Just going through the nuts and bolts of it. Obviously, we'll have more top prospect lists coming out. But the important thing we're trying to push right now is subscriptions, memberships. We are having a little bit of financial difficulties in the wake of this lockout and the wake, obviously, of the uh, t- shortened 2020 season and the pandemic and all that other fun stuff. So, if you are not a Fangraphs member but are interested in becoming one, know that signing up, that money helps keep our lights on, helps put all the con, put- helps us put out all the content we do, and give you all the cool advanced stats. It is. a month or $25 a year or $60 a year for ad-free browsing. Members get special perks. They can change how the site looks. They can toggle the pictures on and off. They can download some of our roster resource pages as Excel sheets, which is super valuable and super useful if you're in a fantasy league to be able just to keep track of that very, very simply. And hey, we also have tons of fantasy content too. We just put out our 2022 fantasy baseball guide. There's no baseball, but there's still going to be fantasy baseball one way or the other, so uh if you are if your league is starting to draft soon or is still going to do their march draft per usual or if you just want to get a, an idea of you know where you want to be in your next auction come on down to fangraphs too and while you're there sign up for a membership if you're already a member you can gift a membership to someone you can buy some merch from our store or you can just donate money directly anything helps everything helps
0: fangraphs.com there you go there you go john taylor always a pleasure next week Marlins not Braves we start with the oh, worst and move to the best
3: Yeah start yeah. we start from the bottom then we get to the top Yeah okay so we'll talk about the Derek Jeterless Marlins Does that mean they're going to bring the statue back?
0: I don't know. If That'd if be... Jeter's
3: gone they got to bring back that dinger machine.
0: No, if jeets is gone I want to bring back the pinstripes. That's what they need to focus on. Get bring back the pinstripes, the the the, the Florida Marlins uniforms just with the M. They, that's they, all you got to do.
3: He's, he's an
0: alternate sometimes. Yeah, I want it full-time. That was a better look. I, I preferred I kinda, that look.
3: I kind of like their current uniforms.
0: Oh, uh, well, you're breaking up, John. I can't hear you. Uh, John <laughs> Taylor.
3: <laughs> very, very graceful. Very casual.
0: John Taylor, always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. All right, that'll do it for today's edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thanks for for sticking around if you made it to this point you're you're a big fan and if you're a big fan of the chase thomas podcast please do make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts don't forget folks um you can also go check out the homepage, chase thomas uh go support the show on youtube yeah you can watch every episode on youtube yeah Uh, youtube.com the chase thomas podcast hit that subscribe button like it share it out all that good stuff Um, help other people find the show you can also find me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer Um, you can always email this very program that's daily here on the blue wire podcast network uh chase thomas podcast at gmail.com all right new episode coming tomorrow but you guys have yourself a great rest of your hump day wednesday march 9th but uh yeah we'll be back march 10th we're already in the double digits in march it's crazy well coming to you tomorrow all right uncle Derek, how'd i do
2: nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah